The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be up with us this morning. Mm-hmm. I am Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. And yes, he is, and I'm Jim Crowder, the <laughs> other guy. And I just hired Dorshman. It's like I've got a faux awakening this morning. A faux awakening? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's already daylight. Oh, somebody you didn't like woke you up? What? <laughs> Jim, I'm like oh. driving in like, oh. <laughs> man, it's, it's daylight. I hear you, Jim, over there. <laughs> I mean, so I know it's it's still six o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning, but I just I guess I feel more awake because it's not dark outside. It's, it is true. It, I guess it really shows how much daylight <laughs> gives you energy in the last two two weeks. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. three weeks ago it was still just barely light yeah. this time of morning. I mean, now I mean I could go out there and I can do anything I want in my yard. I mean, it's daylight. It you know? seems like it's the most daylight it's ever been in my whole life this yeah. early. <laughs> so I've got a full awakening, y'all, is oh, what right. I've got going on. I love it. Love the long days. I uh, love the early, early get up and work in your yard mornings. Well, I'm, I've got, uh, <laughs> well, how about get up and, and go water your yard in the mornings? No, what? Really dry. Yeah. It, you really know, my dry. only message this morning is get the water Water. hose out and keep it out and get the sprinklers ready to go because it is dry. Had a gentleman come into the garden center day before yesterday, had two big pots of tomatoes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he had purchased them, purchased them that way. You could tell they were in the pot, had the little tomato cage. He brought them up. He had them in his bag seat. Okay. And he said, Kenny, do you mind walking out here and showing, you know, taking a look at these tomatoes? So I walked out there, and they were droopy in the back seat. They were in, in the container, and, you know, the leaves had a little burn around the edge. Every one of them did. And I'm like, when's the last time you watered these? He's like, well, I heard you weren't supposed to keep these things too wet. And I was Ooh. like, well, you're also hearing from me now that you can't keep these things too dry. Y'all, I picked up the pot. I could have picked it up with one finger. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the pot was like a 14-inch pot, y'all. I'm like, you've got to get some water on these things. He said, you think that's all it is to it? And I said, oh, that's, that oh. is all it is to it. Oh, and he probably gingerly loaded them in there oh, and thought, man. thank goodness they're so light because they're not very wet. Yeah, or, or like, you know, something's wrong with these things. Yeah. Well, there was definitely something wrong with them. Gosh. It was just a lack of water. I mean, to the point where... Hopefully, after he waters them, mm-hmm. they'll come back out. So, almost more damage transporting them, <laughs> leaving them in the hot car <laughs> while he was waiting for you to become available. And oh, then, man. So, a picture probably would have worked for that. If somebody takes a picture, maybe of the plant and of the soil and kind of takes it from back, maybe you could have diagnosed it without him bringing the plants in. Well, but the message there is, he, he in his mind, he had heard, hey, you can't keep these things too wet. Well, first of all, it's going to be almost impossible to keep them too wet in a container, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, because that pot is going to drain. Moisture is yeah. being pulled down to the bottom of that pot. But in his mind, he the only thing he was really concerned about and his biggest fear was keeping these things too wet. Well, he went way to the other extreme, you know, completely. Yeah. So we're bringing this up because everything needs water, especially things that are in containers. And Jim made the comment last weekend. I've had four or five people come into the store this weekend go, did I hear that y'all say we're having a mini drought? And I said, uh-huh. uh, yes. Yeah. You still, know, we still are. It still hasn't rained in my house in the last month. Right. So, yeah, get out there and make sure you get everything watered the way it should. 
And can I say this also? A lot of people were doing a lot of new planting this year. Yes. Because they lost so much stuff last year. I'm telling you, people, you've got to make sure these things stay hydrated. And not just today, but for through the whole summer. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and you know what this just makes me think of instantly just being in the garden industry forever mm-hmm. is that this is when all of a sudden people start bringing their things back, thinking that they were mm-hmm. something was wrong with them when they bought it. Yeah. And like you can take them back to the box stores and they'll usually give you your money back no matter what. But then when you go to independence, it's like a different thing, you know. It's uh because we're selling you a plant that we're confident that's alive because it looks alive when it leaves. <laughs> and Jim, what's, and, the, what's, what's Jim's quote? That yeah, what does Jim say about you know us killing shrubs? Oh yeah, and no plant wants to die. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. you either gave it something it didn't want, or it wanted something you didn't give it. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's not another option. Right, right. <laughs> Tell me how true that it. is. You that's know? just bottom line. So um, we're asking you to water. Yeah. yeah, it's just water. And, of course, you know, that goes into all the make sure you've got the good drainage. You know, you've amended your soil properly. Mm. You haven't just dug a couple of holes and, and put it in the ground. I, well, I do mine with a post hole digger. Okay, well, then they're all there good. There you go. <laughs> I know. Do you know how they're many when I put them in people the over all, right, all these years? I mean, I've even talked to, and it's no negative against anyone because of things that, you know, how we process to do things. Like I've had people act, r- measure the root ball exactly mm-hmm. and then just carve that hole out to match that root ball. No, and, and the reason that I bring this up also, I was talking to a young lady yesterday, known her for a long time, and they have they moved about a year ago. Not that that's relevant, okay, but <laughs> the relevance is. <laughs> it's not relevant, but, but the, the relevance is. <laughs> they, they did lose, like everybody else, they lost a lot of shrubs. And they had a, a landscape company come in and replace the shrubs. Well, this new place that they live now also has irrigation, okay? And she said that a lot of the shrubs that were planted this year, they were actually planted in April, uh, no, in March of this year, uh, they were suffering a little bit. And I said, well, Sue, have you gone out there and made your rounds and um, checked the the moisture? She said, well, the irrigation comes on. That I do know. I said, but think about this. You've got irrigation. To me, irrigation is more for a lawn and more for bedding plants. Okay? Mm -hmm. It really is. I said, because, yeah, uh, let's say if the irrigation is coming on in the areas where you had these new shrubs planted, that water might be penetrating, what, two inches of soil, Jim? If that much. Maybe. Uh, so the majority of that root system is still not getting any water. And I said, the only way that you can really check is go out there in these beds and dig a little hole. Dig it five or six inches deep and yeah. see what the moisture is down right. there. I guarantee you the moisture the moisture that's coming out of the irrigation system probably is barely peaking below the mulch level. Right. So these right. plants, in her mind, everything is getting watered. But they're really not getting watered. Right. Yeah, but when you look at an established plant, you know, if, you, if you've got, say, a, a young holly or something that's two feet across, the roots have already gotten out into your soil, and it's probably mm-hmm. got a four-foot wide root zone. But when you put another one in that's just brand new, it mm-hmm. only has a two-foot wide right. root zone. So all the water that's going beyond it is just going into the ground with, and not able to get to the plant. If you actually look at the math based on the size of the circle, that the the new plant's getting approximately thirteen to ten to thirteen percent of 
what an established plant is getting. Right. So it's it is drying up and dying. <laughs> right. But it, it but there again, I get it. I mean, in her mind, hey, I've got irrigation. Mm. I'm fine. Well, like I told her on the plants that were already that had been there that were established. I mean, you might be okay on those, honestly. But those that have just been planted, you've got to get that. I said, go out there at least once a week. At least once a week if you're not getting rain and you soak those things with a hose. Even if irrigation is coming on like it should. So we're bringing this up, guys, because there are uh, there are a lot of shrubs that have been planted this year. And there are a lot of people that are relying on irrigation to properly, mm-hmm. properly yeah. irrigate those shrubs. And it's just not going to happen. I'm telling you. Well, you know, I tra- uh, transplanted t- four very large um, deciduous azaleas back two months ago, hmm. um, and I'm watering those thoroughly every other day. Wow! All mm-hmm. right, uh, one of them had a- an abundance of foliage, much more than the other ones. Uh, and if I go more than two days, it starts to wilt. So, got to keep the water on. Yeah, that's what I say. Our newly planted things is almost every day for a, a week, and then you can back off maybe every other day. But watch the plant; it'll tell you also. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, if you know, but there's like evergreens; they don't really wilt, you know, like hollies or conifers. You're not, and then all of a sudden it's too late. They turn brown. So you used to still at least you have to kind of be in your yard, at least touch the soil, look at the plant. Walk around and visit your garden. And go out there and dig a little hole in those beds and see what that moisture depth is. I'm telling you, it's not reaching to the bottom of these newly planted shrubs. Or through all the mulch somebody put out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's run to a break. And y'all get your gardening questions together. Take some more coffee and give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could be with us today. So much stuff going on in the garden community. It's like uh, this week is above normal temperatures, but it still doesn't hit 90, really, or maybe right at 90. So I think the high today is, what, 95, isn't it? No. Oh, good. I <laughs> thought I saw that last night. I didn't see that. Is that? Let me see. We'll I had the look. weather... But then next weekend, it drops down closer to the 80s. It's been, hey, it's been great as far as temperatures have been. Yesterday was a little warm. Day before yesterday, mm-hmm. a little warm. But, but so far, we got 92 today, 93 tomorrow, 92 on Monday, 92 on Tuesday. Drops to 89 on Wednesday, 85 on Thursday, oh, and that's 88 what, on Friday. Oh, yours is way worse. Mine's 89, 90, 88, 88, 88, 83, 85. Mine's right. She's, <laughs> <laughs> she's, you she's, she's looking I at do. Looking at Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, that's right. I mean, done that before too. <laughs> but anywho, whatever it is, you know, just just start early. It's always, you know, isn't it easier to get up um, and start working in the yard early, and that way you acclimate through the day? Because if I'm going to have to go out into the yard, you don't in the wait summer, till one thirty to yes, fly out there. There's just hardly no way. One of our good that. dirt buddies. I ain't gonna say it. Did I say that right? Dirt, dirt buddies? birdies? Dirt yeah. birdies? Uh, Miss Jan Childers, she said it's a gorgeous day to enjoy touring the yards and gardens of several Memphis area master gardeners' homes through our garden gates. Yep, yep we got all that right. And is that today, Miss Bettis? It is today. here on yeah. January 3rd, and, um, and I know that there's the Cooper Young Garden Walk, but they're taking a break today 
to have the garden uh, in our through our garden gates. Yep, do not to thing. compete with it, which yeah. is really good. Yep. So uh, I just love our gardeners in Memphis. Yeah. So through, through our, our garden gate is free now, so you don't have to. And there's no charge like there is with the um, um, the, the other Young. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. City of, yeah, yeah, right. Well, this is good. So you can go to the Memphis Area Master Gardener webpage and read all about through our garden gates. Right. There's five or six houses, something like that, and they're all not very far apart. They've done a good job of clustering them together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so you're not driving from downtown all the way out to Carrieville, right? You know, and down Dubai. And, yeah. You know. And they got Master Gardener stationed at all of them, so that you know you can ask questions if you want. Um, so it's a, it's a great opportunity. And you'll see some really unique gardens. And, and see, what I love about it is it gives you ideas. And that's all people need because, you know, we all know there's 18 million different ways you can landscape a yard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many possibilities. Yeah. But if you go in there and see what other people have done and you see the mature landscape that they've created, you know, you get some wonderful, wonderful ideas that you can take back and do in your own landscape. Yeah. yeah. Carol and I went to through the Cooper Young Cup a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was like 96 degrees that day. You know? and, and we, instead of getting in a car or driving around to the different ones, we decided to walk and just see what we could do, you know. Um, and so by the end of it, Carol was just pretty much, you know, I had to carry her to the car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, we we did see some quite unique gardens, you know. Um, and for Jim to say that, because I've seen his yeah. quite unique garden yeah. that he's had there on was, the tour before. You know, some there was one particularly that had a toilet in the corner uh, that was decorated, which mm-hmm. I thought okay. was a interesting just, idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, so, that's art. Non-functional. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> thank just you for collecting that. compost. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it is. You'll see some see some quite unique gardens in the uh, if you take the Cooper Young tours. And do we know what time the walk uh, through it's, our garden gate uh, starts? Nine a.m. Okay. It starts at nine. And even if you can't go, if you go on the Miss Master Area Gardeners website, they've got pictures from last year and some really good information too. Uh, to look at, but you can check it out on their site. Rain or shine, so it looks like it's going to be shine today. And that's from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, do we, Jim, does it work, or Veda, do we start at one house and work our way to other places, or can you just at random? You can go, go to, to anyone you want. You can go, okay. Only go, go to two if you want, so, you know, there's so no requirement. The flower garden, hydrangea garden, nature garden, shade garden, and waterfall garden. Oh, That'd be pretty cool, yeah. y'all. Man, that sounds so inspiring. And then also coming up before too long, guys, is the Great Tomato Contest. And I was asking a gentleman <laughs> the other day, he came in, and he was buying more tomatoes. And he's already got a field full of them, okay? And he's yeah. buying more. <laughs> and I said, now, the ones that you've already planted, are you getting ready for the Great Tomato Contest? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, "So, but you're still planting New Mark. tomatoes. Uh-huh. He said, well, those are for my friends. Yeah. Oh. You know, yeah. So he's got 20 <laughs> tomatoes planted out there where he can go out there and pluck the perfect one right. just for the great tomato contest, which is what, July the 15th. And then these other ones that he was just planting, he said he's going to grow those for him and himself and his friends. So it's, it's pretty hardcore, I'm telling you. I know. 
I love it. It's going to be great. Y'all can look that up, too, on the Master Gardener area's website, too, about the Great Tomato Contest. And of course, that's being held at the uh, out by the Red Barn out there at the Agri Center. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jim, I think you're going to be a judge yes. again this year. I am going to be year. back this year, yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember the year that me, you, and Vader were out there as judges, and I was thinking to myself, I'm going to eat so many tomatoes a day, which is a wonderful thing, but I hope I don't get sick of eating tomatoes, mm-hmm. you know? And for that moment, that day, that afternoon, I did. But, you know, I got over it that night. Yeah, did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, it actually made me like tomatoes more, which, which I mean, I had no idea we were going to have that many to taste. Oh, I didn't but either. But now it's did. getting bigger and bigger, and they're having divided up. Yeah, and, it'll be a little easier this way because you won't have to taste every single tomato. Which is the way it was when we were there. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. ooh. All right, can I say this real quick? And I don't know. We got to go to a break here in just a minute. One thing that people are bringing into the garden center, as far as a sample, and I think it's happened every day this week. Um, Beta, or do we want to take season? Because this, actually, what I'm going to say might take just a minute. Oh, right. So yeah. let's go ahead and go to. Well, first we have to let um, Philip oh. type it in. And then <laughs> we're going to go to Susan. Good morning, Susan. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Susan. Have, good morning. I have listened to the garden show from when we came to Memphis about, oh, 20-plus years ago, yeah. almost every Saturday morning. We thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I, uh, My husband and I let... Uh, w- we haven't had the time to take care of our garden the way you, we used to when our daughters lived at home. Right. One daughter is married now, and she used to help me. And my <laughs> husband, of course. Uh, we had a rose uh, bed that all the roses died when that virus came through. Mm-hmm. All but one. And so that bush is still there, which we really like. But everything else, there's just weeds, 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 weeds. We haven't done anything for years. Yeah. Now, uh, that's one small flower bed that was all uh, roses. Then there's a flower bed by the fence line and a big lawn in between. And we had someone this past week come with our son team and take all the weeds out. And mm-hmm. that took two days. It was terrible. Wow. Now, I want to amend the soil. Mm-hmm. My husband bought a, just a um, big bag of soil conditioner, but I know there's something else that we need to add. Yeah, there's what, a... a- lot of things if you have a large is the area large the between the um on the fence line yes mm-hmm, yeah it, it's, it's maybe maybe 30 feet maybe more right yeah that is a good size well was, so they were like pre they were prepared before and then it's just had weeds and things like that growing oh in goodness. yeah i haven't played it's it's it's, very, it's shade yeah right because our trees have gotten so Oak trees from from yeah. our neighbor. Yeah. Got right. yeah. Big. Hey, they do yeah. grow every now day. Got a shade bed. Yeah. So so but, it used to be a flower bed. A shade because the trees are not ours. Yeah. Right. I got you. Yeah. But it used to be a flower bed. It 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 had less shade. It has more shade now. <laughs> and, and let me ask you this, Susan: uh, Is there anything desirable in that bed that was oh, yes. just two two, two azalea? White azalea plants that have one pink, one white that have been there oh for about twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Those so yeah, so if you've got a large area 
and this soil needs a lot of reprep, then I, I always like to go get some bulk soil, garden soil from like some of the topsoil or mulch yards. Like a place called The Yard. Yeah. You know, the or yard. maybe even Nature's Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like to get, like you said, you had some soil conditioner. I like to get some types of compost and then work in the areas where I'm actually planting. So it kind of depends on the soil consistency as you start. So if it has yeah. been a bed before and it hasn't turned back to hard clay it's and all been a bed of weeds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably just needs a whole total start over. I mean, I would, I'd love to have one of those little manis tillers. And this is one point where I don't mind going in yeah. there and tilling. Uh, Susan. My husband recommended that. that. He said he's, that's on his list. Yeah, and the uh, the soil conditioner uh, that you're talking about, that's really nothing more than pine fine. It's just really fine ground up pine bark, and that's great for kind of separating the clay particles. But like Veda said, you know, if you can get some kind of a uh, blended soil or, or compost, uh, that's really the life of your soil. Uh, and I would try my best to incorporate some uh, some compost in that bed also. But I agree with what Veda said. The probably the least expensive way you can get out of that is buying bulk soil, and you can just tell them, say, "Hey guys, I need a good soil blend to work into my back bed where I'm going to come in here and plant whatever." You know. You know, I'm afraid though that she's going. She's got such a, a small area yeah. that you're going to end up with a lot of a soil amendment. If you've got a three foot wide bed, say that's thirty feet long, you only need ten to twelve bags of a compost oh. thing like I would use you the peaked in our yard. Yeah. <laughs> you need a something like um a back to nature. Um stay with us. I tell you what, we're gonna come back after the break and tell you how exactly what you need to do, okay? Yeah. All right. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Susan. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm the other guy, Jim. And we had Miss Susan on the line We're who was asking Susan about amending some too. soil. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So uh, 10 to 12 bags, I think, if you'll get something like uh, Back to Nature's uh, Blend, which has manure, alfalfa, and all kinds of good stuff in it, uh, and spread that across, and then get about five more bags of soil conditioner and spread mm-hmm. all of that across the top of it mm-hmm. and then take your little manis tiller and just till that in and even if you're only getting about three inches of soil that's okay okay um what this is going to do is it's going to give you some height which allows you to okay. plant things that normally don't do well here yeah <laughs> like everything um but you can do you know it would be good for azaleas or if you want to put in color that will give you a good base to start with right there, and, and fairly inexpensively. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what we're going to plant because it's been a bed of weeds for, <laughs> for okay. so long. If you're thinking about shrubs, I, w- I wouldn't plant until fall. I go no, ahead. No, no, no. I, I think I would like a mix of annual and perennial. Okay, mm-hmm. then if you're going to do that, do your soil work, okay. get everything planted, and then come back and put a, a pre-emerge on top of it something like dimension that Mm -hmm. will stop anything from coming up from seed great idea because there's plenty of seed there right now yeah Yeah. know it it's everywhere and always there always is and then susan if there are any if there any (laughs) weed roots still in that bed and there probably are some still some weed roots 
when you're yeah. in there, when you're mixing all of your amendments into that bed with that little tiller, mm-hmm. uh, you might have to get a rake and kind of rake all that stuff that you bring up. You know, just rake it off the oh. top. And then, like Jim said, get your annuals, get your perennials planted in there. Come back and apply a pre-emergent, which is usually granulated like that dimension. And then the last thing, come back in and just lightly mulch the bed in. And, you know, and then you've created your brand-new bed all over again. (laughs) Minimal work. And then, you know, keep you a a little bottle or something mixed up or Roundup so you can go in there. And any any Uh weed that pops up. You want to either paint it if it's close to your other ones or spray it if it's safe enough. Um, but just go in there and touch it. And, you know, it, it, you, it, you'll end up with a pretty good bed, I think. Great idea of having a bottle for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I did hear Veda say last week that, and we have some vines, and I think, Veda, you said to get the, the the live vine in a bucket of I don't know Roundup yeah 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 Jim was saying that up. you know if it's not oh, okay. if it's not feasible to spray it you can just take it and stick it into a bucket right. of what solution. I call it, or, or actually uh, it was uh, named uh, an ivy ivy um, so, oh. <laughs> so it was uh, it was an idea I came up with many many years ago and it and it does a pretty good job all right thank you because in our front yard we have that going up our big oak tree that we kept in the front mm-hmm. and I, I keep on cutting them on the trunk yeah. <laughs> doesn't yeah. work yeah well susan we love you we appreciate you listening to us every saturday morning if you have any questions dear you just let us know i appreciate you listening thank right, you thank, for being. thank you susan thanks, thanks susan. susan thanks for calling in uh, person, we have oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, just remember, you can reach us anytime during the week on our on our Facebook group, Mid South Gardening, uh, gardening in USDA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, we keep some um, little or some little bottles around, uh, pre mixed of the vinegar, the twenty percent horticultural grade vinegar, because we're like in around people all the time. Mm-hmm. But we're spraying it, and of course, in the sunny areas, it just burns down. But people will go. Are y'all pickling cucumbers oh, yeah. or something? Where's <laughs> yeah. that? Is that coming from the warehouse? Hey, but the horde grade vinegar, it will kill weeds. And then we've also got a sea salt times 10. Oh, really? So it's, it's just a highly concentrated sea salt, uh, Veda, in a gallon size container. And then, of course, there's Roundup. So I guess you would use that if you don't want anything to grow there. Is that correct? The sea salt. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they say. Is it approved for use in beds? Yeah, yeah Jim, spot trade only. Yeah. Huh. And then there's the uh, the Captain Jack's Dead Weed Brew. Oh, uh, Dead yeah. Weed Brew. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's kind of like the organic version of a Roundup. So <laughs> there's Captain Jack's Dead Weed Brew. There's uh, Sea Salt Time 10. There's 20 to 30% vinegar. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the old-fashioned Roundup. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of options. You know, you just kind of got to pick your poison with the type of things you're trying to kill out you're not going to use some and how comfortable you are with it yeah and notice how right. you yeah. said pick your poison pick your food because yeah. i mean everything because you are is, picking your poison yeah you are picking your poison that's true uh, um, well, one thing Vita, let me yeah. say this uh one no thing, i'm not gonna go let ahead, you babe, I'm, no i'm ladies kidding. first no i didn't have anything i'm so just harassing you <laughs> <laughs> one thing that i was going to bring up and we briefly mentioned this last week was there is a little fungal problem out there and it's called powdery mildew and anybody and everybody that's got a dogwood, especially that's in the shade, go out there and make your rounds and look at the foliage. And if you see this white, powdery mildew, hence the name, mm-hmm. um, on it, 
you're going to have a lot of leaf drop, and that's my point is we've had every day this week we've had people come in with foliage from dogwoods going, what is going on? And it is the beginning of powdery mildew. Uh, powdery mildew is pretty easy. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's Well, it's pretty easy to control. I mean, go out there early morning and late in the afternoon, spray it with the fungicide that's got powdery mildew on the label, uh, and then come back in about 10 days, two weeks, and spray it again. But what I tell them, though, Vade and Jim, is, Yes, you can spray to kill the mildew, but any leaf, leaf or leaves that have already been infected, they're probably going to crinkle up, turn brown, and fall off. So don't be alarmed when you start seeing some of this defoliation going on with these dogwoods, even if you've gone out there and sprayed to kill this mildew. And go look at your honeysuckle and go look at your clematis also, because it's really bad out there right now, especially on these dogwoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... It's kind of good in a way because it's not the powdery mildew, but it's making me think, well, we're still cool at night, and that's why this is happening, and that's good, that it's still cool at night. Well, and also, when any debris that's on the ground, at some point, get that debris off of there. Uh, get it up, rake it up, blow it up, get it out of there. Of course, like I said, spray the fungicides and, you know, copper, daconil, liquid systemic fungicide, any of and those are perfectly, works, yeah, you know, any of those a- are fine, but... I saw some leaves this week that were just, they looked like they had snow on them. They were so bad. Yeah, it's amazing how some plants just instantly just, well, I got a dahlia that was turned toward the shade. It's in a flower pot, so I'm just turning this pot so I can enjoy each side weekly. But the when I turned it, the dahlia part was in the shade part and instantly started getting powdery mildew. Mm. So I just turned it back around to the sun part, and, you know, it just stopped doing but it. But we can't so. do that to a planet right. dogwood, you right? You can't just, like, turn that, move, scooch that dogwood over. And now. a lot of that's weather-generated. We know that, Betty, you mentioned the cool night still. I mean, I even saw fog coming in this morning yeah. at ground level yeah. coming down Walnut Grove. I know. I was like, is this August? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so. <laughs> but, but, you know, a lot of the powder and mildew doesn't even need to have moisture on the leaves, though. That's true. Yeah. You know, so, you know, then sometimes even when you think you're doing you're home free, you mm-hmm. may still get it. Well, I've even read uh, some research on how powdery mildew, but it makes sense how powdery mildew can start because a plant is also underwatered. But that just means it was stressed and allowed this uh, pathogen to take over. Yeah, and like Jim was saying, though, most fungal problems arise when it's been really wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they most, most of them need water as a catalyst, but it's, it's crazy. Mildew doesn't have to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. But when the conditions are right, which they clearly are, uh, there's a lot of it going on out there. And like I said, and I've seen honeysuckle eat up with it. I've seen clematis that are just in, just eat up with it also. So be aware because it's going to make that foliage look horrible. And it is going to cause some defoliation also. Because it blocks the photosynthesis and the plant can't keep giving itself nutrients. Sometimes it's better just to chop it back and let it regrow. Too. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, but you got to get out there and spray those fungicides. So something just to be aware of. And, and Jim, you know, you made a comment about some looking at some peonies the other day. You saw what botrytis all mm-hmm. over them. Yeah. And is that because the peonies were not in the proper growing environment or is it because they're again of just weather and we've got that penny out there yeah botrytis is a is a opportunistic fungi so it does all you have to have is a host it's everywhere and uh, and if you have like we've had this year a cooler wetter spring yeah. until recently uh it's just perfect conditions for it. i say something else we saw this week um 
had somebody post a picture of a crepe myrtle that had little white uh, globs hanging at the tips of the branches. Y'all know what that is? Little white globs. Yeah, it, globs. I mean, it's on the tips of the leaves. It's only it was on every leaf. Yeah. Uh, and he said, what kind of fungus is this? I bet it wasn't a fungus. It's right. It's not. Yeah. It's called guttation. It's when the plant is evaporating water. That's the mineral deposits that actually accumulate at the tip of the leaf. So it looks like you got a little white growth right on the end of each tip, but there's nothing wrong with it. And, it's and, absolutely and, fine. And tell me, what is what's it? What it, causes that, Jim? It well, it's when the plant's moving huge amounts of water yeah. through it. Okay, and you get mineral deposits that it's letting out at the same time. I've seen that, and it that's all it is. Is in and when you get dew or something, it pulls those mineral deposits down to the very tip, and you get that accumulation. So you and get a little. Nothing to it. Absolutely nothing. It's it's unusual, but not uh, a normal. Well, when we get back from the break, Veda, I got and y'all might have heard of this or seen this also. I had a lady come into the garden center with the picture, and as soon as I saw the picture, I knew exactly what it was. But it was on a crepe myrtle also, and I had never seen it on a crepe myrtle before. Hmm. Hmm. All right, we're going to go to a break, and then after the break, we'll find out what this mystery is. Y'all can call us two six zero five nine two six. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You listen to us on KWAM 990 AM. You can download uh, the Mighty 990 app and stream us right now if um, you're not, if you're getting out of the listening area. Yeah, KWAMradio.com, streaming live all the time. You can always go back and listen to the, to the podcast, Miss Theta, you if know, you missed something. I read something. <clears throat> okay, you know when plants are wilting. They're wilting. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard somebody call them slouching. If your plants are slouching, <laughs> about the same as they, wilting, they could need some water. And I'm like, yeah. Now my mother's called it falling out, and I'm like, no, they're wilting. No, they're falling out, or they're slouching. Yeah, they all mean the same yeah, thing. Yeah, right. But I, it made me laugh. A Get slouching plant, because you know, as I always said, stand up, right? You're slouching. Now I'm saying, no, I'm just wilted. That's funny. I love <laughs> it. They all mean the same thing. Yeah. Had a lady come into the garden center and she had a picture uh, that she showed me. It was uh, it was a part of a crepe myrtle, one trunk actually on a massive old crepe myrtle. And Jim and Veda, you could see these long stream-like frass particles sticking out of the trunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I had never seen it on a crepe myrtle, and we know mm-hmm. that that came from the ambrosia beetle, mm-hmm. right. and it was on just one trunk, and it was inundated, guys. It wasn't. Just here and there. It I was got the same picture over. this week. Yeah, but, I, I mean, we I, had a picture earlier, and it's been a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> of, huh. of one on Crepe Myrtle. And this so might have been the same three. lady. Yeah, maybe she's going around hitting up everyone. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that one trunk, though, that we're talking about, uh, it was weakened and damaged. Uh, it might have been some winter damage on it, you know, it, some cracking going on. And they really attacked that weaker trunk of this more more than not yeah. healthy crepe myrtle and um and if you if you see it it's, it's just a weird look i mean because they bore right into the trunk and like i said they're pushing all of this frass out but if you've never heard of ambrosia beetle i mean look it up and read about it because they can cause some major damage yeah um, but they're usually attacking plants that are stressed mm-hmm. or attacking portions right. of a plant that are stressed yeah. so she needs to cut that trunk to, out yeah Roots, get it get yeah. it out of there 
Uh, and then, of course, they say, if you read about it, they say spray with either bifenthrin or spray with permethrin beta, spray in the mm-hmm. trunks. But you're spraying as a preventative. You're not spraying mm-hmm. as a curative. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, because also they've, um, they're doing their damage already. So you've got to do some spraying for the next set. Yeah, That's possibly going to come on. And since they've done the damage, a plant can still live. But you may need to give it some more energy, some oh, root yeah. stimulators, watch the water <clears throat> on it, add some compost, just some th- things to strengthen it back up, get the sap flow going so it can start healing those holes. Sometimes sometimes things can't bore into plants because it's so healthy that the sap flow and everything's moving mm-hmm. Like it should, so it's hard for an insect to compete with the natural health of a plant. Yeah, and they're usually not going to bore into a healthy plant anyway. Uh, but also, yeah. you know, she because they can. She also, <laughs> yeah, right. She got some drench uh, with the imidacloprid and pour that around it, and you know that is really going to be good for flathead bores and those type of bores. But mm-hmm. y'all, this this was such a weird look because it was so many holes. In it looks this, like whiskers. Yeah, and this one trunk. Uh, but it was just that one trunk, and like she showed me a close-up of the trunk itself, and there was some damage. There had been some winter damage to that one trunk for whatever reason. So I'm thinking, man, get that thing out of there. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Uh, spray periodically you know, with either a permethrin or a bifenthrin, uh, and then use the drench, of course, for the scale and everything else. So I think the crepe myrtle is going to be okay. And she said, I hate to lose this thing. This thing is like a tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was massive, guys. It's one of the biggest crepe myrtles well, I've ever seen. It was probably just that limb <clears throat> anyway. You think it would be going to the rest of the tree? Well, it could. I mean, the picture that I had, this is a different one. So maybe it is three different people. But the picture I saw, just by the picture, the tree, you know, looked sturdy, mm-hmm. healthy. You know, it wasn't like a dead limb here or there. So, right. you know, I guess the the past couple of winters of st- Stress the the great myrtles out a lot. Well, then it also made me think that Jim and Veda, is there going to be a problem with ambrosia beetles mm-hmm. here that we've like we've never had before, or they they've always been out there and they're just yeah. kind of doing what they do? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also other than the flash freeze, we had a fairly mild winter. Yeah, uh, which is uh, it's great for Kenneth Veda and I and people that sell pesticides. It's not very good for homeowners, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, because what we like to have hey, in, in the yeah. wintertime are a lot of v- very warm temperatures followed by very cold temperatures. That way you get some insects to hatch, you kill them. And if that happens several times, you start the season with a much, much lower population right. of insects. Right. And so by the time they've gone through their generations and get to the, the fall, they don't have time to do a lot of significant damage. Yeah. Uh, but here, the last few winters, it's been fairly mild, other than, you know, we had the, the flash freeze in 2019, mm-hmm. a similar situation. Um, and it's plants are just under stress from this. You know, mm-hmm. our warmer winters are not helping us. Wow. Okay? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. think about it. You're right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. It's uh, it's unfortunate, you know, and we are seeing, uh, we mentioned this on the show, you know, for the last few months that we're seeing a good bit of sun scald. And June 1 is kind of when I expect to see the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly now that it, we're in a drought, you know, it pops out with new growth. Everything's happy. You're good. It looks great. And then suddenly about 1st of June, when it can't move sugars down to the roots to feed them, 
or sufficient water back to the to the leaves, then it suddenly collapses overnight. And as I say, that's when the husband gets blamed. Right. You know? Or like right now, we've got a <laughs> yeah. lot of, uh, that's true, Hollywood junipers, they've been fleshing out the whole season. And then um, last night, I've realized, man, we better put some water on those. They're in a place that they get no water, like any runoff from irrigation or whatever. And I'm like, well, man, I better water them. We're, we're like hitting a drought now. So they're already stressed. And if I don't hurry up and water them, they're probably going to, die where normally with the hollywood juniper i'm like hey you know it's okay we can go another it's a juniper. week yeah it's fine but now since i know they're under stress and trying to recover i better add some water to them and jim and you know the sun scald you're talking about mm-hmm. i mean that's gonna show up as a burn on the foliage right well, no, no 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 not at all what, what happens is when you know particularly on on plants that have uh, papery bark and we're talking about dogwoods under seven or eight years old they don't put on true bark until then like japanese maples japanese maples crepe myrtles these type things and what happens is we get uh we get a very very cold night where uh particularly if we've had a warm uh, a warm spell and the sap is starting to rise Mm. or in the fall if it hasn't fallen yet Sounds like and, Memphis, Tennessee. Right. So, and what happens because it's full of sap and water, it freezes. So you got a trunk that's got frozen sap in it, and that by itself's not bad. But then the sun comes up the next morning gotcha. and hits one side. And as we've talked about, there, there's research that indicates that there can be as much as 77 degrees difference between the frozen side mm-hmm. and the sunny side. Crazy. So that yeah. sunny side expands, and what happens, you get a hairline crack mm-hmm. on there between mm-hmm. the frozen and the, the sappy wood. On oh, that thin-skinned right. bark. Yeah. yeah. That by itself is fine. It's got carbohydrates that have been moving up and down. It's had them stored in the, in the stems. It leaves out just happy as it can be. So everything is fine until about the 1st of June. When it starts to warm when, up a little bit, that's and then when you have I to expect collapse. to see the damage. And, and that's it, when you said the husbands get blamed. That's right. You know, it suddenly goes backwards. It begins to wilt some, and you water it, and that doesn't seem to help. So you water it more, which is probably feeding its demise yeah so, so this all happened when it was cold but it was a dead lot of t- you yeah. just didn't know it yet right exactly so, yeah. so yep so and we're going to see more so. of that i think because we're getting Absolutely. warmer here we're going to see more of that over the next few years i agree so, as i said the other day we need to plant smarter and we'll talk about that when we come back we'll be right back after these messages The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening on KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio. We start at 6 we end at nine. Yeah, so you've and got stay with us too, because during the eight o'clock hour, we're going to talk about ticks, and that's big time. I'm telling you, yeah, and diseases they carry, and uh, and that sort of thing, and how to control the little bugger. Gosh, I hate flicks and teas, ticks and flea season. Fleas and ticks. Flicks and teas. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> the season. If you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And, of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, and shoot us a text there. Yeah. Um, so, um, and fleas and ticks, uh, Jim, you said in the starting in the 8 o'clock hour. Yeah. Because, I mean, t- I'm, and then, 
I won't get into it, but the more I read about these dang ticks, the more diseases and problems they can. There are huge number of diseases that they can cure. Yeah, you know? So, yeah, we'll, we also have we have a new tick that first discovered in the United States in 2017. Which oh, great! Is the Asian longhorn tick, okay, and wow. now it's in 19 states already. Mm. Uh, so, and Tennessee is one of them. So, I was know. I was in my backyard the other day, and y'all have to tell me why. But no, why? <laughs> I was in the backyard and, you know, I've had a mole, M-O-L-E, mole problem uh, to some extent for the last couple of years back there. But it's, it's so far back in the back of the backyard that I really don't care, honestly, and I really hadn't paid a lot of attention to it. Uh, but now the thing is kind of moving to areas where uh, it's a lot more noticeable, Okay. And so I'm going to do something about this mole. But at the same time, I am starting to see a lot of what I think are vole holes in my mm-hmm. backyard. And guys, one place in particular where I, where I cut a tree down about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, it, believe it or not, it was a Bradford pear that split in half. Go, go imagine that. Uh, so I cut it down and I cut it at ground level. So, you know, it, it naturally broke down. But in that area where I cut that tree down, I mean, it is riddled with vole holes. Yeah, it has. You, when those roots rotted out, you left mm-hmm. a cavern in there right. for them to live in. Yeah, so they're loving this. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So what that's are you not. Do? I think I'm going to, because I don't have animals in the backyard, pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm either going to get that vole X or the ramic rat bait, and I'm going to drop it down in every hole that I see. I'm going to bait these little boogers. And I'm going to do it once a week for at least three weeks, honestly. Uh, you know, and if that doesn't work, and in fact, I even found a dead vole. So I know I've got voles back there and I'm seeing more holes. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, I could put up with a mole or two. You know, if he stays his distance, I'm fine with that. But now I'm getting to where I'm any across my whole backyard, Veda Jim, I'm getting these vole holes. And I'm like, Mm-mm, this is getting a little much, you know. So I've got to do something about it now. And I know I could use castor oil, and I know, but if the, I'm going to try to bait the little boogers because I don't want to just move them. I want to kill them, okay? <laughs> and if the bait, and I hope it works, and if it doesn't work, which it should, I'm going to go get the mouse traps, and I'm going to bait that mouse trap with a pecan, and I'm going to set these little baited mouse traps beside one of these little holes and cover them with the clay pot. And I don't care if I have to catch them one by one. I'll keep a tally. I'll let you know week after week how many I've got. I'm fixing to go to war on these bowls, I'm telling you. Looking forward to that. Mm. You know, perennial season to me is coming up. June's always been like Because all the perennials are really starting to be beautiful. You know, it's getting established, starting to bloom in the yard. They look good at the garden centers and containers and things like that. But I was looking at the... Mid-South Gardening, USDA Zone, 6, 7, and 8 website. I think Jim has something Facebook to do with that. Facebook page, yeah. yeah, Jim. And that um, butterfly weed, the picture of the lady that had the butterfly weed. Several people have put in just stunning pictures this what? year of butterfly weed. I know. I've never seen it as fantastically beautiful. You see, Vaden. As, as, and I just kind of made that too big. I made the picture bigger. But it's just full mm-hmm. and beautiful and looks kind of dwarf and it's in almost full sun all the time but which one is it the butterfly weeds are amazing is it because we were so cold 
Well, no, we weren't as cold as, as any other time, though, really. No, we a lot of those to, have probably been planted this year, they're you just, know? Because at first when Beauty, but, Butterfly Weed came out, I was like, yeah, hey, and it's nice, a little, you know, there's some orange there for the for the uh, monarchs. But this is amazing looking. And that's a scaphalus. Now, what about yeah. the tropical milkweed? I've got a tropical yellow that's, um, and it's doing quite well, and they too. Get taller, it's nothing don't like they? that. Well, so far, it's, um, yeah, I think it does get up to like three and a half feet mm-hmm. or so. They're on right now at about two, but it's suckering well, got lots of multiple stems, and yeah. and it's planted in uh, in fairly moist soil. The butterfly uh, weed this is. This one is, yeah. Now, Jim, would that, uh, would that, quote, tropical milkweed come back next year for you? Well, I'm hoping that it will. Yeah. It is planted right next to concrete in hopes that it will. Well, the reason I, I said that, count on it. yeah, because it's called tropical milkweed. In our minds, we're like anything tropical is not going to come back, but that's not always the case. No, it's not. Mm-mm. Yeah, and it looks pretty. She's got black elf, little baby black elephant ears with it, and that black and that orange is so pretty together. But yeah, I mean, this is when like your Shasta daisies, the yarrow, the coneflower, cat mint. Oh, Lord. Yeah. yeah I mean, the butterfly is Yeah. Everything's just starting to show out. And it's going to bloom all the way up till we have a, a freeze or frost. Not again, every you know. day, maybe, but it has a very long blooming season. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these perennials do. Right. And also, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, but since our season's so long, you can do some cutting back and have them flush back out or rebloom because sometimes your verbena starts looking like it's got mm-hmm. spider mites but are not so good. But you can just cut that back, throw some fertilizer out on it, and it'll flush back out because we've got all this time for things to bloom. Yeah. We and, get more blooming season. And you mentioned the milkweed while ago. I mean, remember there was a big push mm-hmm. uh, for people to plant, pollinate, or pollinating. Is it pollinating? Yeah. I guess uh Planting plants that monarchs really needed. Yeah. Uh, and they had a big push of planting milkweed across the United States, remember, for the still, monarchs. And I think it's still out there. It is. Yeah. We're, and they're doing median plantings where we're learning to plant more things to help wildlife make it to where they're migrating from or to so they can have food along the way. Because, yeah, in a way, if you think about it, they've got to fly so far and then they're gonna have to get some food and then keep going and going and if we're not providing it if we're missing up their native landscape i mean just not for butterflies but for everything and what are the do's and don'ts of perennials right now i mean other than we got to keep them water you can Mm -hmm. feed them a little bit with a non-burning fertilizer right and then like you said enjoy the blooms and after a bloom session you know a heavy bloom session like veda said you can go in there and cut them back and you'll have time for a lot of these to come back and bloom again. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have to go out there and cut them back after a bloom session? No. But if right. they start looking ratty, you sure can. You know, we used to say it was a perennial with uh, sleep, creep, and leap. Yeah, like the first year you put it in, it sits there. The second sleeps. one, kind. It and then creeps. the third year, bam, it's gorgeous. But now with the industry... You know, you get some big-looking perennials that look good now. Yeah, the sleep is probably, it's almost gone. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like a creep-leap theory, yeah. you know? Right, right. Because we used to plant them from little plants, though, too. And now we get them big, beautiful, bodacious, full of blooms. But you really got to water. Yeah, and, you know, and a lot of these perennials, talking about perennials in general, Jim, you know this, they did like you do, too, is, man, they're hardy as everything. A lot of them are. In fact, most of them are. 
uh, you know, if you if they get adequate sunlight, the ones that need it, they get uh, decent drainage. Uh, but you know, a lot of these sages and the salvias, uh, you know, the the rubecchias, uh, even the coneflower. I mean, they're they're tough plants. Have you ever seen a sea holly blooming? Yeah, I've had them. See, I just saw them in this lady's yard the other day, and I heard about them. I they... posted a picture of one. Um... No, two weeks ago, I, I just guess. knew you'd have to have that. That's yeah. a really cool-looking plant. It is. It is. It gives you a little blue. Um, Brutal if you have to put your hand yeah. in Yeah. I know you would not think of it because it almost could be like a weed, but it's not. But it's a really cool-looking yeah. plant. Was it it's almost blooming. like thistle, or what is yeah, it? It looks like a thistle yeah. bloom, yeah, blue but it's right a now. beautiful blue uh, and puts up lots of lots of flower heads. Um, I've got two of them, and... Um, I think the key to those is one elevation. Get them up where they drain well uh, in the winter time. Yeah, it's the winter drainage or lack of that does so many of the perennials in here. They yeah, just, that's they true. won't tolerate that. They need that water to get off of their roots. Yeah, this kinda, isn't a raised bed. And I know we got to go to a break. It's kind of like the elephant ear bulbs. You know, they can, you they can stay wet during the growing season. Yeah. but if they stay wet in the winter, <laughs> it's a different story. Ooh, mm-hmm. So wear you out. Okay, we're going to go to a break. Y'all are listening to KWAM 990 AM. Call us 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're listening to us on KWAM 107.9 FM and 990 AM. You can download Mighty 990 app, mm-hmm. and you can listen to our podcast there. You can stream us online. Yeah. If you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And just a reminder, uh, through our garden gates this morning, guys, uh, you know, that's sponsored by the Memphis Area Master Gardeners Program. And uh, what is it, five? Locations this year, Jim. I five believe six, it's five. Yeah, uh, that uh, you can go uh, tour their lawns, and uh, you know I've talked to some of the people that are on the tour, and you know it just it's nothing like a deadline to get your place looking beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's it's pretty unique and neat that you can walk into these different diverse landscapes uh, and get ideas, and you know they're not the same. Um, you know, because everybody has different tastes. Some people mm-hmm. like evergreens more than they do deciduous shrubs. Some, Some people, people like, like round, bully plants. Yeah. Some people don't. And I'm raising my <laughs> hand, Jim. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, but it's, it's, that is today from nine o'clock to four o'clock. So be sure to check that out, guys. That's that's a pretty neat deal. And then coming up uh, next month in July, I think it's what July the fifteenth, uh, the uh, annual Mid South Great Tomato Contest. You know, make sure you get your tomatoes ready. Uh, and this is at the AgriCenter International by the, you know, the Red Barn. And our very own Mr. Jim Crowder is going to be a judge again this year at the tomato contest. And so. you? No. Yeah, he's going to be out of town. I'm out of town. Are I'm going to really? be out of town, yeah. too. Well, yeah, bummer. I thought it was yeah. going <laughs> to I'm sorry, Jim. I, know, I tried not to be. Now, I anyway. can, Jim, listen, I can be maybe persuaded. I, I don't want to use the word bought off or bought <laughs> out, you know, but. Judges can can all be persuaded. Does that sound like there's some shenanigans mm-hmm. going on? Mm-hmm. No, but no, but really, guys, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, we had the, some of the guys that won a lot of the 
Awards mm-hmm. last year on the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were trying to get some of their uh, well-kept secrets, and, you know, they just didn't give anything up. Right. You know, other than plant early, water, and feed. It's really kind of all they were well, saying. And we say that every day. Yeah. Well, for me, the one that stood out the most was how they kept their soil dry. They kept it covered and dry. So it, when the opportunity came about that the weather was proper, in terms of temperature to plant, your soil could be. They too kept it covered wet. and dry in the winter time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so they it, they came on in February, I think, yeah. um, or maybe early March, and their their soil was still covered. And if you the remember point. the tomato mortgage lifter, that particular mm-hmm. one was one that won a lot of the awards last year. And that's what I love about tomatoes, and because you can talk to ten different people, and they'll give you ten different opinions on what's their favorite tomato, right? And t- mortgage lifter was one of those older heirloom. Uh, varieties, uh, you know, and everybody knows the story behind Mortgage Lifter. The guy paid his mortgage during the Depression selling tomatoes, right? Yeah. But, or was uh, it the seed? Actually, he sold the seed. Yeah. Well, the seed, right. Money. Because yeah. I was like, Kenneth, I had the same, yeah. and then Jim read farther into it. But <laughs> uh, but I think it's great, y'all, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, read about the, uh, and, and then once again, this is sponsored by the Memphis Area Master Gardeners also. So you got to do tomatoes, blueberries, and figs. No. Because you can have, to, uh, I mean, a lot of people now are doing blueberries in their yard and figs. And yeah. I've heard figs are becoming more popular than blueberries. I don't, I, think, I don't so. think so. I doubt that'll I ever know. happen. I was like, who says that? I don't know why, but I'd heard that or read that. And I'm like, no, I don't think that can happen. Well, But, but they're becoming to be popular in the landscape because there's smaller figs that we can plant. You know, like now. Little Miss Figgy, yeah. you know. Yeah. But yeah. let me say that. this also. Both Figs and blueberries are nice, ornamental-looking plants. Right, yes. Uh, yes. The blueberries look beautiful in the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, the fall color, there's nothing like them, honestly. Uh, and then the fig trees, especially with the dwarf fig trees like Little Miss Figgy, uh, a lot of people are planting those in containers as an ornamental plant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so it gives you a tropical look. Yeah, and getting the figs is just a bonus. And a lot of the figs were, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, you know, some figs were killed this past winter. A lot of figs were killed to the ground, and they're coming back mm-hmm. from the root. Uh, but, you know, you had to start over, of course, because everything above ground was just frozen. But uh, it's, it kind of tells you about, the you know, how, how tough these little fig trees are uh, as far as coming back, at yeah. least from the root system, or, if they are frozen. So figs, blueberries, <laughs> and tomatoes. That sounds so delicious. A great combination there. And summery, doesn't it? Um, see what else is looking good now. There's so many, you know, the spirea is starting to show out with all its beautiful blooms everywhere. Doesn't look like winter phased them one bit. No, we yeah, planted three candy corn this past week. I love it plant. Just yeah. absolutely beautiful. And, and see, to me, spireas, you know, it's one of those plants where, you know, before it, you know, they're okay. They, they surely look good when mm-hmm. they're blooming. Yeah, but now with those like candy corn, like Jim just mentioned, now those new varieties that are out there, they are absolutely great looking shrubs, even when they're not blooming. Yeah, I don't uh, care if they ever bloom. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the foliage is pretty, also. And so now, yeah, I'm this with you too. I think the only spirea that I ever liked, there was two: the uh, Van Hootia, and then of course the Vital, the Vital. Bridal? Thank you. Vital Braille? <laughs> yes, that one. Bridal That goes Braille. with the flicks and trees. <laughs> flicks and tees and, yeah. But Bridal so, had the real pretty white Yeah, white so those two. Them. And then there there was all these other varieties. I'm like, eh, it's all right. But now with all these 
newer ones coming out. They just have so many different attributes through the season. So spirea is a really good one to plant because it, it had no issues. At and like all. I said, they're tough as nails. Mm-hmm. You know, now they do drop their leaves, but a lot of the blooming shrubs do drop their leaves. In fact, most of them do. Well, yeah, could, but, you know, spirea is almost evergreen here. That's true, too. True, yeah. You know, you, you'll lose your leaves usually in December. And mm-hmm. into January, they're wanting to sprout again. And that's almost yeah. like the barberries, too. They keep their leaves a long time. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't think they put on as soon as spirea, or do they? No, I don't think so. You yeah, know. but close enough. Barberry is one of those plants that I, I I love to see in somebody else's yard. <laughs> I'm wondering <laughs> if that's me, too. You know, the, I tell you what, I do The love. orange rocket and some of these uh-huh. new ones. That love are, them. Columnar, they're, they're absolutely spectacular yeah. plants, you know. Uh, some of the dwarf, even the old dwarf crimson pygmies mm, and things like them, that. Yeah. Foliage is beautiful on them. But, you know, it's really not a plant to put by your walkway. Not no. At all. It, no. I mean, they're full of thorns. Uh, Itty bitty thorns. Yes. and But they're pretty. They mm-hmm. are pretty. But, you know, if, if you're wanting that purple... Laura Pedalum is probably a better choice near a walkway. Well, Jim, you mentioned that orange rocket, you know, Mm -hmm. which is one of the newer cultivars of these barberries. And I've seen them in containers with other things, uh, with potato vine and so Mm -hmm. forth. And y'all, they look unbelievably pretty. Yes. Well, I see orange rocket in a container and it really shows its beauty and, and how it should look. But then I've seen them planted in a hedge and they're going to end up, um, and they're planted, where they're, they're going to end up just looking like a hedge. They're not going to look like each individual yeah, each specimen. Tall. Yeah, yeah. So they really look great in a container. But as a hedge, you don't see the beauty of each shape because everybody plants them so close well, together. Well, because when I think of hedge, I think of things like privet hedge yeah. and you know, or Iliagnus, or something I'm making a true hedge out of. It's still going to be an awesome foliage-looking <clears throat> hedge. Yeah, yeah but, but barberry is a great hedge plant. Yeah. It, it really is, because, you know, you can trim it, and you get you don't see a lot of dead foliage. or a, the ha- When you cut a leaf in half, it's not ugly. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. So they, they really do. They shear well. Um, you just, of course, cleaning up the cutting can be brutal. Yeah, because yeah, they do. True. Man, they yeah. do, the needles, are, they're small, but, yeah. man, they've got them, I'm telling you. Yeah, so spirea and barberries are good things to add to your garden. You know, we're talking about different plants. People are going, you know, we need some different plants to use besides the same old, same old. But I'm a t- go ahead. Yeah, and barberry is another one to start putting back into your landscape. And, of course, all the different spireas. But um, like the ogon, I talk about the ogon all the time. It, it doesn't seem like, I mean, the it doesn't, what? Spirea. Mm-hmm. it doesn't look like what we visualize a spirea to look like, but it's still a really pretty yellow, flowy looking plant. It's not known for its blooms as much, but all the new spireas out, they still have great blooms, but we're loving them for their foliage. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you what, there's still something to say about the same old, same old. You know, when people, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the bones that you they put in their landscape, yeah. I know that sounds weird, but you know, your your boxwoods. There's so many hybrid boxwoods on the market now. And a boxwood looks like a boxwood. I get it. But you do have that green, beautiful shrub. Okay? When you plant... Nothing spectacular. Just right, green. Just, but it's nice and calming to the brain. But when you do plant some different varieties of boxwoods and let them grow like their shape is, or maybe you're pruning them some, but, yeah. let, but pruning them to keep them in their natural look, you can actually see the differences in the boxwoods. But I'm like you before... 
There was. They all looked the same. I'm like, just pick one. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You're going to print no, it anyway. But you're but. right. I mean, you know, the wintergreen's got a little bigger leaf than the baby Jim. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the new gen has got a little more elongated leaf than, say, baby Jim. But boxwoods, and, and then even think about the dwarf hollies, you know, the yopons, the mm-hmm. compactus, the hellerize, the soft touch, mm-hmm. all those type of hollies. They all look similar, and they kind of even look like a boxwood to some extent, yeah. but they're still places definitely mm-hmm. places in your landscape for the same old same old and, and then, then i like to go in there and kind of put some of these other plants you're talking about to get that really interest up yeah, you know different texture different yeah. flow uh there's the um box leaf honeysuckle shrub great plant for around a pond yeah. really looks nice yeah so so incorporate some really of the pretty. some of the I shouldn't even say unusual, but incorporate some of the other things mm-hmm. than the same old same well yeah, that's in it. your landscape. Right, yes. Okay, y'all run into a break. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. morning welcome back to mid-south gardening glad y'all can be with us this morning mm-hmm. glad we can be with you i am veda from palladio in memphis that's where you can find miss veda right there on central avenue you can find me at dan west garden center right there on popper avenue mm-hmm. we have two locations one on highway 64 also and my friend over here to the left mr jim crowder you can find me in my recliner or in the garden okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my life recliner <laughs> Or in the garden. Occasionally the- go to the grocery store. What a great life, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> right. But yeah. Jim, we're can- on, um, yes, we're on Central and um, just paved the road. Yeah. So nice. You can just cruise by. It is. It's but nice. But they decided now that the road's nice and paved that they should dig it up and put some pipes in. Never fails. So, Never yeah. fails. Let's pave it first and then let's start digging it up. Yeah. So, but so Jim much for that. over here, he also has a Facebook page. Um, and I tell you what, Jim, that thing has grown by leaps and bounds, hasn't it? It has. It has. Uh, I'll bring up here and see. I've forgotten. And it's I called up to about ninety five hundred now. An unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, it's called Mid South Gardening Zone Six Seven Eight Nine Ten. We're pretty close to that. Yeah. <laughs> I posted some bizarre Friday foliage photos. I know. <laughs> hey, Veda took some pictures of her weeds. What I did. I did. <laughs> I was like, because one of them is a weed. It's just so um, interesting looking to me the way the seed heads are on the Virginia buttonweed, and then mixed in with <laughs> that is something that's. Well, I think it's probably the. It's blue. It's little blue blooms And you on immediately it. came back and sprayed to kill them, I hope. I did not. <laughs> I just look at them every time I go walk by there. I, I, you know what it was? I was standing in the parking lot getting ready to leave to go home, and I looked around. I was like, okay, let me do some really different foliage. Everybody's going to do, you know, coleus and hostas. Let me do a weed. All that stuff. So I did a weed. But I did the feather grass. That was mm-hmm. a pretty foliage. The um, staghorn. Fern. Uh, staghorn, uh, sub, uh, sumac. sumac, sumac, yeah, mm-hmm. that one. And what was the other one? It wasn't all that great, but yeah, I had some different Friday foliage. But everybody had posted some beautiful stuff. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Yeah, I mean, because a weed is a wildflower. If it's yes. growing where you want it to grow, no, yeah. it's a wildflower. If it in a weed, if it's not where you want it to. grow. And As I see, to me, a weed is, is a weed if it's growing where you don't want it to grow. I can't understand this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had come in and she said, I, I need, I want to eat, I want to do a garden where 
where I don't have to water it much and I want to be able to eat the stuff in that, that I'm growing in it. And I go, well, that's just a pasture of weeds, really. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me. I go, well, a lot of our weeds are edible mm-hmm. and you don't have to water weeds a lot. And she's thinking to herself, what a smart. Why did I come mm-hmm. here for? You know, but we worked our way through it. <laughs> we did have uh, Mrs. Uh, Jane uh, Overcast. She sent us a text on the Monday 990 Facebook page. She says, I have a giant azalea stump in my flower bed. How can I get rid of it so I can put other plant or plant other things there where the stump is? Uh, but it's in front of my great grandmother's 120 plus year old rose bush. Mm-mm, that's not. Uh, so I don't want to damage that, of course. I also have two cats that play in the flower bed. Help, please. So she's got this azalea stump that is in a bed that is really close to the precious rose bush that was her grandmother's. So how do we get rid of it? Um, well, I mean, I think still the simplest thing to do, depending on how close it is to the rose bush, of course, is to try to dig it out. I mean, roses are, I mean, uh, azaleas are very shallow rooted. So it's not like this massive, deep root system, but it, because this root system is still going to be fairly close to the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether you get some, like a, somebody out there with a little sawzall and just kind of cut it out, you know, you can just pull it out that way. Uh, I mean, I just still think the best way to do is to, is to cut that thing out of there or it dig it out. It really is. That's, you know, even with a little chainsaw, you can just go zip around it about two inches deep and, and take out most of the trunk right then. Um, you'll have some roots that are going out that if you decide to plant where the roots are, you'll have to cut those when you do your site preparation. But um, if, the, if the stump is green, anything that you do to it as far as uh, if you try to poison it or if you put stump remover in right. it, any of that's <clears throat> going to take a it's not going to fix the problem. You still got the trunk. Right. So, so it would kill the stump, Jim, but it's but still it, there. Yeah. You know, yeah. So the best thing to do is just try to, you know, get four or five inches away from the trunk and just zip around it and, and cut it out. Yeah. Uh, and it should lift right out of there. That's right. That's what I'm saying, because they are so shallow rooted in there. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to do a little article on our, our Facebook group this week. Uh, I planted, the, I was telling you, I planted these candy corn spireas. And the first thing I did was I, I turned them over, took them out of the... Uh, three-gallon pot they were in, and I cut the bottom four inches of soil off of them. Hold on. Just sheared them right off. Really? Yes, because they're shallow-rooted plants like an azalea. I don't need those roots down there. They're going to die off slowly. Uh, so I just go ahead and shear them off and, and so that the root ball, instead of being 12 inches deep, is now you know about eight, eight inches, inches yeah. deep. And, uh, and, you know, I put a little loose soil in the bottom, but not much. I don't didn't dig any deeper than that. Uh, so it's it's the best way to do a fibrous rooted plant like an azalea or a, uh, a spirea or something like that. Now you can't shear, you know, if you've got a tree, you can't shear it off because chances are there's going to be a big root down the bottom and a lot of feeder roots attached to that. Oh, no doubt about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, that's what we used to see so, so often in bald and burlap trees. Mm. Uh, they <clears throat> would cut those and, you know, you don't know where the roots are. Okay, when you're digging one out of the ground. And a lot of times they would cut a major root. And again, it sprout in the spring and look good. But when you actually, when it collapses in the summer, you dig, you dig it out and realize, you know, most of the roots weren't on there. Because, Jim, because in theory with the ball and burlap tree, you know, it had the big ball down there, the burlap around it. 
they were actually going out there and cutting trees and, and shrubs. But these were larger specimens, so they were cutting off a good bit of that root system. That's right. You know, ideally, if you're growing them for production, you go in there every year, every other year, and you root prune it. You go in there and act like you're going to dig it up, but you just cut some of the roots. Uh, that way it builds a fibrous root system much closer to the trunk, so that when you get ready to dig it, you've got some feeder roots in there. But that slows the growth down, and a lot of nurseries um, just don't do that. They plant them, let them grow, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And if, if you had a dogwood that came up from a seedling, you know, it would have one root that runs out in one direction. You don't know which one, yeah. uh, but right. it's going to be as, as tall or taller than the plant. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. And if you go in there and dig, you know, just a 12-inch ball on that thing. You're you cutting know, You're cutting that root, I'm telling most you. Most of it, you know. <clears throat> yeah. So you're, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. It will struggle. And I see that particularly in southern magnolias when they dug them bald and burlap because they have such a fibrous shallow root system, they cut off so much of it that when you plant it, it would sit there yeah. for five years yeah. or so without yeah. putting on any growth. And in the meantime, you could have bought a little three-gallon, yeah. about three feet tall, yeah. and it would have outgrown it. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about yeah. hollies? Because a lot of times you see people planting bigger specimens of hollies, whether it's Nellyars, Marinelles, whatever. They want that bigger holly. They need it, okay? So they're buying these B&B, ball and burlap, um, hollies. I mean... They need extra care. They do. See, and that's why I'd rather buy a container-grown plant. Absolutely. Uh, that, that root system has not been compromised. It's been growing in that container, whether it's a 7-gallon, 10-gallon, 15-gallon, 30-gallon, whatever. But that root system has not been just sheared mm-hmm. and then thrown a bag of burlap around it. You know, well, so. you know, when we were selling the, uh, <coughs> like at Stringers, when the big Stringers was there, and we were selling the big 30, 45-gallon root ball trees, mm-hmm. and and that would be something that we would tell people, now really think about this. You can buy this 15-gallon tree and plant at the same time as you can plant this 45-gallon B&B tree. Mm-hmm. That 15-gallon tree is going to grow Overtake. up and be big or bigger than the big one that you planted, and then eventually that one will start to catch up. So, you know... I understand paying a lot of money to get that look today. Yeah, but to get that, if that you're size. thinking that big tree is going to make you get a bigger tree faster, no. Yeah. yeah. All right. So real quick with uh, with Jane and Jane, we do appreciate the the text. So we're gonna try to cut the stump out. You're saying, Jim, that's just really just the simplest thing to do. Yeah. Don't worry about trying to use brush killers or anything else because if you do get that around the rose bush. That's not that going to be, be good. An issue, right. And then as far as the cats in there, Mark uh, Salesman, he takes it in. He said, well, first of all, laugh out loud. A weed is anything mm-hmm. not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's okay? true. And that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. You call it what you want. If, if, to me, if it's not growing where it needs to be, to me, it's a weed. Uh, so Mark is right. But he said mothballs in the uh, beds also help keep the cats out. So other than mothballs, what are we doing to keep those cats out of that bed where she's digging out this? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, if you can get a whole bunch of sweet gum balls, those work really yeah. well. Because they got the yeah. little prickly. Yeah. Yes. Now, I will tell you this one story here about what I did. And, and Okay. It's uh, it's not bad. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I took, uh, I had a cat that was was getting in a bed. So what I did was I got some mouse traps, okay, and just set them on the ground and then put a piece of newspaper <laughs> over them. All okay. right. And sprinkled a few leaves on it and then a handful of bacon bits. Oh. 
Uh huh. So when the cat stepped on the paper, the trap went off underneath it. Of course, it couldn't hit the cat, mm-hmm. but the cat did a little dance right I there. It. You know, love it. Then you could just lay the paper Cute. down, and you wouldn't get near the paper. Right. You know, not <laughs> put traps under it anymore. That's <laughs> okay. But that was so funny looking. All I can do is see their cute little cat paws. Oh. Dancing around. That's like, kind of that's humorous. And then, all right, we're and gonna. Then, go... And he said the sweet gum balls. You know, they got the little prickly things yeah. all over them. That's a that's a good idea too. It's better than sticking the forks in upside down. I think <laughs> those were real attractive, weren't they? Oh, lovely. All right, y'all, head to a break. <laughs> Thank goodness. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You're listening to us on KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio and 107.9. You can listen to us Facebook Live, download the app, Mighty 990, or pick us up um, on a Facebook page that Mm -hmm. Jim's administrator of, creator of Mid-South Gardening, USDA Zone 678. So, other than a repellent... well, I like the idea Jim had the mousetraps in the, the no, newspaper. No, the cats hey, I like going out snap, there and putting a, little, a few little leaves on top yeah. of it, you know. <laughs> um, but I guess repellents also to some extent. I mean, speaking of repellents, I mean, you know, anytime we have critters going where we don't want them to grow, mm-hmm. uh, to go. That um, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, other than, like Jim said, something physical, you know, to keep them out. Um, repellents do a pretty good job. Uh, and there's so many repellents on the market now, and it just makes me think of, you know, raccoons and possums and squirrels and everything else that's out there, Veda. Uh, you know, one of the repellents that I do like is the old-fashioned shake-away, which is a granulated urine, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those tend to do a pretty good job. And then there's the uh, the Bonite product, the um, repels all, uh, you know, that are very safe to use, that repels a lot of different type of um, uh, varmints out there. But think about this, though. I mean... We're constantly, constantly trying to repel varmints that we don't want. Yeah. You know, whether it's a mole or a vole or whether it's a raccoon, possum, or chipmunk. Think, I mean, we're always trying to get these critters away from where we don't want them to be. Right. Just, you know, that's just part of you get up, get ready to garden, and you're like, okay, let's see what the critters did today. And then not only the critters, our domestic animals, the dogs and the cats. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad that. So it's a them. constant battle. It really it is. is. You know, if you can, sometimes if you can create your landscape to accommodate wildlife, uh, that helps uh, in terms of like, say for my dog, for instance, I picked up his, his path, saw where he liked to be, and then didn't put a shrub there. Well, Just don't plant a shrub where the dog wants to be. Well, in, or in a classic example, okay, of that is I was at a friend's house uh, yesterday afternoon, and they've got a fenced-in backyard like most of us do. Well, he's also got his daughter's dog there, okay? And it's a, a mid-sized kind of hound mm-hmm. that loves to run. Well, on the other side of the fence is the neighbor's dog, which is also a mid-sized hound Uh-oh. that loves to run. <laughs> so these two dogs are running up and down this fence line until mm-hmm. they are creating a rut in yeah. the ground. Honestly, a mm-hmm. cattle trail in the ground. <laughs> True. Yes. So my friend was like, okay, I'm going to put an end to that. So he got some angle iron, and he uh, created a wire fence. Yeah. Okay, well, now the dog can't run up and down the wooden fence because uh-huh. he's pushed back into the yard. He can now he can run up and down this wire fence if yes. he wants. <laughs> so 
it's just amazing the things that we'll go through uh-huh. to try to con- corral our animals mm-hmm. to do what we want them to do is my point, you right, know? Right, But it was so funny. I walked back there and I'm like, what is, why do you have this wire fence up here? And then even against the wire fence, he had these barricades to where the dog really couldn't run up and down the wire fence. Well, which would look better? <clears throat> Just a, a nice little trail along the fence? Well, but he had brand new big... sod back there also. Yeah, you know, but still, just I, let the trail be. I because don't now know. you got to spend all that money and time and energy and look at the chain. And it will probably go back to that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. You know, once we exhaust all the other things that don't work, but I was like, man, I like. I mean, I love his gumption. Don't get me wrong, yeah, love it. Right. So he's just all of that, just to try to keep a dog from running up and down the side of that fence. Jim, like Jim's mouse traps and newspaper <laughs> yeah. to keep a cat out of a bed. <laughs> You know, my cat would put his paw in there and it'd snap, and then it'd cut his eyes at me and like, really? Yeah. All right, what do we think? <laughs> I have about, that cat. All right, what do we think about the uh, the scare tactics? You know, like a scarecrow. Everybody has seen a scarecrow in a garden. You know, and I guess scarecrows are out there for a reason. It scares the birds away. But now you can buy snakes. You can buy these big old yellow eyed owls that you can put out there. But I'm going to tell you right now, whether it's a scarecrow, whether it's a snake, or whether it's an owl, don't think you can go out there and just set it out there, leave it out there forever, never move it, and expect it to do wonders. Hmm? Yeah, you got to move it around. How many times have we seen a bird or a squirrel sitting beside the owl? Or on top of it. (laughs) On top of it, eating the tomato. Now, if you get out there and move these things around to where they don't get used to it being in the same spot and they know it's not going to hurt them, I think you'll get better control. But but just, I guess my point is, varmints push us to the end, Beta. Mm-hmm. I know we put out the pinwheels, the windmills that, that circle around, try to vibrate the ground. Pie make pans. The most, yeah, pie pans. Red Christmas ornaments yep. to look like, uh, yeah. Well, we just have a good time, though. You know, gardening is really fun and, and inventive. Yeah, well, but I love the way that you make it sound so appeasing. But when yeah. you get everything perfect and then you let the varmints come in there and start taking over, yeah. no, ma'am. I know. You just have to know that could happen and then see how they're doing and change the environment. I mean, because you can't fight them. Sometimes you can, but most of the times, no. If you can't fight them, join them. Right, right. Um. Yeah, so back to varmints. Now, you know what? We didn't. The Great Tomato Contest, which is coming up, that's July 15th. Today is Through the Garden Gates. That is, um, you can find that on the Master Gardener website. And then the Cooper Young Garden Walk, that's going on all season, too. You can go to the website to find that out. And that's more of a citywide garden tour. Yeah. uh, That's going on, I guess, some every week. They have different places you can go. Right. Or you can go to. I don't know. It's a bunch going on. So, yeah. so check out the websites for that, too. Um, but, uh, you know, there's the garden centers are still, I mean, the season's not over. I mean, oh, Lord, June no. is still a good planting month. I, You know what y'all should do, though, is get soaker hoses. When you're making new beds and all, get soaker hoses. Put them on timers so the timer can go off in the morning time, and it can just soak the soil really good, get it really moist. And be and done really all, with it. And that's it. really all that needs to be just, watered is the root just system. You're done with it. Yeah. Put the soaker hoses out. Put it on a timer. Timer goes on. You're done. I mean, 
Now, if you put new plantings out, you need to go outside every day and check all the new plantings you've done. Just don't plant them and then show up on the uh, seven days later, the weekend, and see what's happened. You need to go out and check it. But soaker hoses, that's the way to go. And and there's some timers that you can actually program, but there's also little timers that are so simple. You screw it to the faucet. Mm -hmm. You turn the dial to one hour or two hours or three hours or whatever you want. You just... Turn it on there, and it automatically shuts it off. Yeah. I mean, how easy can that right. be? And then the soaker hose is usually buried up under the mulch. You never see it. But you're putting the water where it needs to be mm-hmm. on the root system. Yeah. So I agree with you, Veda. A little timer and a soaker hose can go a long way in keeping these things alive this summer. Yeah. But then you still have to watch on putting the soaker hose out also. <laughs> like it should circle around some of the shrubs or or at least weave in and out of the shrubs. Cause, and I see, and also like if it's very, really long, sometimes the end doesn't get as much water. But it depends on the pressure that the, you have. Yeah, but those are just little things to watch for because you, you can connect too many hoses together well, and not have enough water pressure. And I do like the newer canvas type soaker hoses over the rubber hoses. Mm-hmm. Now, I, they're both fine. They both will work. Um, but, you know, kind of like the canvas-type regular garden hoses now. Uh, they're lightweight, uh, but the, and they're very porous. They typically will uh, spread that water out more evenly than just a rubber hose, if you will. So uh, there are some different types of soakers out there, and in my opinion, some better than others. Yeah, so soaker hose, that's a, some, something you need to put on your shopping list instead of when it's too late. Then you got to drag your hoses out or go to the store. Well, we know things are starting to heat up because all of a sudden we're selling more sprinklers, timers, and hoses, Veda, than we were, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Well, stay tuned for information about ticks and fleas after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to the third hour of the Mid-South Gardening. If you missed anything, you can check us out on our podcast. And you can call us now at 260-5926. That's right, 901-260-5926. And, of course, you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And Jane had a follow-up question. Uh, This is Jane Overcash that uh, sent us a question about how does she get rid of an azalea stump that's in a bed but she's concerned because there's a about a 120-year-old rose bush that was her grandmother's in that same bed. She said, this may be a stupid question, which is not, Jane. Any question is not stupid. Uh, this may be a stupid question, but what tool can I use to cut roots in the ground mm-hmm. like the big ones that are on the azaleas, especially if they're old azaleas? I had a root that was almost two inches yesterday. Well, definitely when we did it, we, we'd take out a whole big crepe myrtle with a sawzall. Sawzall. We'd just mm-hmm. dig holes around it and just start sawing with the sawzall. And it's just a tool that you hold. It's got a, it's like a jigsaw. It's got a yeah. saw on the end of it that just mm-hmm. wrote, I mean, just, I guess, vibrates back and forth and it cuts right through a those reciprocating roots. Reciprocating saw yeah. is the other word for mm-hmm. it. And then, but, Jim, you also, there's some of these smaller little chainsaws. Yeah, I have out a couple there. of electric chainsaws and you can just, you know, zip right just, through it. Just point it straight down and just zip right through. So I would use either the sawzall or a little chainsaw. It'll go through the dirt, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. 
I wouldn't do it if you got rocks there. You right. know, it's likely throw one at you. But or ratchet ratchet loppers because that makes it easier. If you've got some ratchet, it gives you extra uh, cutting power. So mm-hmm. you can use ratchet loppers also for just two inches. So yeah, but that sawzall, boy, we could take out some stuff with that. Yeah, it it, it does cut. Right. Then we had um, Shirley who wanted to know how to kill a stump of a fig tree that she has just cut down. Well, depending on where the fig is. I mean, typically you'll make a fresh cut um, and paint the cut with a brush killer. Uh, that's what, Triclopyr, Jim, mm-hmm. that yep. does a really good job in killing stumps. Or you make a fresh cut, drill some holes into the little stump, mm-hmm. and there again, use this same brush killer undiluted. Uh, so either you're pouring it in a stump uh, that's got holes in it or you're brushing it on a stump. On a fresh cut. On a fresh cut. Yeah, and you might have to do it more than one time. but um, Or you just dig around it and take a sawzall. <laughs> cut it all out and pull it out. Yeah, yeah, so either manually cut it out or dig it out, Shirley, or get uh, a brush killer like the, you know, the Fertilone brush killer uh, that's got the triclopyr in it, and it will kill that stump. It will keep it from re-sprouting. Now, like I said, it might take more than one application, mm-hmm. but a brush killer is the product that you want. Yes. And so, then, Jim, you know, this mm-hmm. is the beginning of summer, okay? In fact, we're in summer, officially. And we oh, know... isn't January 21st? January. June 21st, the first day of summer? Oh, maybe. Yep. It, <clears throat> okay, so then we're... Then you start getting shorter again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. Crazy. For if it's going to be hot, at least it'll be shorter. Well, we know other than mosquitoes, that's always going to be a problem, you know, during the summer months. I mean, there's also the dang ticks, depending on where you live. Uh, and I'm telling you, I live by some woods. And my back bed back there, if you walk back there, you're more than likely going to walk out with ticks on you. So, you know, I mean, every now and then I'll go back there and do some spraying to keep these things at bay because they're, again, on the, right on the other side of the fence are the woods back there. But, Jim, you would, I mean, is it something that I should be concerned about? Or Well, ticks you should always be concerned about. Um, and we're talking about this uh, primarily because our good friend Mark, who chimes in here with us on Saturday mornings, uh, lives up in Kentucky, was recently diagnosed with alpha-gal, which is <clears throat> it's a tick disease. Well, it's actually not a disease. It's an, an allergy that's spread by ticks. Alpha-gal is a sugar molecule that is in all mammals except for humans. Okay. Uh, and when it's transmitted by a tick from an animal to a human, you build up. Uh, some people have an allergic reaction to that. Now, you're eating it all the time in red meat, okay? So, And it goes through your system, and you don't have an issue with it. But when it gets injected into your bloodstream... Um, some people have a reaction to any red meat or, if it's real severe, to dairy products. Good milk, Lord. That sort of thing. And that's from a freaking tick bite. Right. Even gelatin, which is you know comes from horses' hooves or whatever, yeah. uh, you can get it from that. So, um, and, and you break out in hives. It's really a nasty. He, uh, he has made three trips to the emergency room in the last mm-hmm. 90, or nice 30 or 45 days or so. And finally, a nurse who just happened to... Uh, mm-hmm. I talked to one of the doctors there said, you know, you ought to check him for alpha-gal. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's what it was. And that's one of the problems with most of the tick diseases. There are a lot of doctors who are 
just not familiar with them. I have to agree with you. My wife got Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever a year after I was married. So this is 45 years ago. Okay. She almost died. She had gone to um, New Orleans with her mother, and um, she got sick. They brought her back, and the doctors thought she had scarlet fever. Mm -hmm. So they started treating her with antibiotics, and for about 24 hours, she got better, and then she got really worse. Because the antibiotics weren't going to do anything for Not that particular And one of the problems at that time, 45 years ago, was that you could test for Rocky Mountain spotted fever, but it took about 10 days to get the results. And the doctor said, she's going to be dead before that. Good Lord. So he said, I think that's what she's got. We need to put her in a hospital. We need a pumper full of antibiotics. And sure enough. And it was tough. She had a hard time. They pumped huge amounts of ampicillin into her, hardened her arteries some. Um, but she did finally recover, thank heavens. And this is all from a tick bite. That's all from a tick bite, yeah. And... My oldest son, uh, Jeremy, has had Lyme disease. So, you know, it, anything that looks like a tick uh, mm-hmm. to my wife, you know, um, is, well, is she'll check it out. If she sees something on the floor, ooh, let's see what that is. <laughs> well, Jim, you know? and, and you're you're right because I know I've got a friend that uh, who's a customer. I've known him for years. They live down in northern Mississippi. And he got bit by a tick also. And it was, I guess it was either limes or Spotted Mountain, one or the other, that he contracted mm-hmm. from this tick bite. And forever and a day, they were they did not diagnose it as that. Mm-hmm. And finally, they did. And he didn't, you know, he, and he was feeling horrible, honestly. Um, and, of course, he's, he's over it now. I don't know if you ever get over it, over it, but he's, mm-hmm. you know, I saw him just the other day, and he looks fine, he feels fine. But it was uh, something that that they they eventually figured out what it was. Right. Um, so, well, like in, in your case, well, some of the things you can do is say, if you've got a wooded area, have a three or four foot barrier of, say, mulch, you know, so to keep um, keep the barrier there between your lawn and your pasture, kind of like how your flower bed is. You know, you've got the woods and then you've got that flower bed, and they're all collected right there, but they're not, you know, moving in. I'm sure they're all in the woods back there. Yeah. I mean, that's where they're that's coming from. Um, but they're also in that back bed. That reminds me of a time we were in a yard and um, doing some pruning. The guy looked up, and uh, my nephew knew he was ready to prune something, and he jumped back. He was like, oh, what is that? And, I mean, the limb was literally just covered with ticks just hanging mm-hmm. out of the tree. I don't like the so, little boogers. I yeah. mean... We have but, about six varieties of ticks here in the Mid-South area. Um, we have um, the American dog tick. Um, that's one that carries Rocky Mountain spotted fever. A new one we have, as we talked about earlier, is the Asian longhorn tick, first seen in the U.S. in 2017. It's now in 19 states, and Tennessee is one of them. Good Lord. Now, is this an imported tick, Jim? This is an imported tick, yes. Uh, it's been in you know other in other countries, it's been associated with a um, with a Lyme disease type. So it disease. brings diseases yeah. also. Um, then we have the black leg tick, which is what a lot of people call deer ticks here. They tend to be very small. Uh, that's the one that will bring you Lyme's disease, particularly. <laughs> uh, we have the brown dog tick, which was another carrier of Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Uh, we have the Gulf Coast tick here, and we also have the Lone Star, which is probably the most prevalent of all the ticks here in this area. Mm. 
Um, and, and if you go to the CDC site, uh, the Center for Disease Control, they've got a lot of good information on it. Now, one thing I would suggest to you, if you get you or your child or somebody gets bit by a tick, mm-hmm. and take it off and save it because if we can identify the tick, we can narrow the diseases down. And a lot of these diseases are hard to detect. When my son got Lyme disease, mm-hmm. his knee swole up like it had a football inside of it. It was huge. Uh, doctors had no idea what was going on. And there was a bit in the knee area? No. Uh-uh. Don't know where he was bit. Yeah. I mean, he was in the con- out in the woods all the time, yeah. found ticks on him all the time. Yeah. So anyway, but his knee swole up. And uh, my father-in-law was reading an article in National Geographic and saw a knee that was swollen like that from a tick. So we passed that information on to the doctor. They did. They took a sample of the fluid in his knee, and it came back as crazy, undecided, because yeah. so many of the diseases don't come back positive or negative. Mm-hmm. They come back neither. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but he was treated, finally got over it. Um, but you want to save the tick. It'll help identify the possible diseases, and there are lots of diseases, at least 20 or so, that we know are associated with ticks. But they are fairly specific to the type tick. So really, save the tick if you All can. Right. So when we get back from the break, Jim, do you have any information on how to kill these That's how we're, what we're going to talk about next, is how to control those little boogers, okay? And how effective are possums at controlling your ticks? <laughs> Very, I would think. I would say not at all. <laughs> they make care. See, they we got two opinions them. there. One going yes, one going no, and I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> and right we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid South Garden. So we're back. We are talking about ticks. Yeah, one other disease I wanted to talk about, too, which is a lot of doctors apparently are not familiar with. It's abbreviated STARI, S-T-A-R-I, which is Southern Tick-Associated Rash Illness. It will mimic um, uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever uh, with or, or Lyme disease with those bullet or bullseye-type uh, red marks. It'll, it'll be red around the bite, then it'll be white, and it'll be red around that. Oh, gosh, so it's almost like eccentric rings around right. and it's kind of like a lighter dose of Lyme disease. It, um, uh, But I think that's misdiagnosed a lot as Lyme. In fact, they have... Yeah, Would you treat it the same, though, Jim? Uh, yeah, it is okay. treated the same way. Um, of all the... Um, Lyme disease in the country, five states make up about half of them. Tennessee is one of those five states. I'd be darned. Uh, we have a very high amount. But they've changed the way they, they classify Lyme disease now. And uh, it when you look at the, the uh, stats, it doesn't look like there's that many in Tennessee. But I think uh, for years, a lot of what was being reported as Lyme was actually starry. Because uh, it is, uh, it's I think more common than uh, Lyme disease. But you're saying, but with Starry, which is a disease also transmitted by a tick, right? If Same get, type of tick. If you get bit, I guess you're going to see that kind of bullseye, right? Redness <laughs> or <Right>. configuration <laughs> around where you get bit, right? And that's again one of the reasons save the tick. It will help identify the issue and get you treatment quicker if you have an issue. All right, now it, let's uh, say in the city, okay? You know. 
it, it, we've all got our landscape and we got our lawns. And we do have ticks here in the city. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it seems to me they're more prevalent the hotter and the drier it gets. I don't know why, but it's just when I typically see them the most. So, Jim, other than, and of course we have, you know, in the rural areas where you have a lot of weeds along the roadways, the ditch banks, the pastures, whatever. So it's not like they don't have a place to live, is my point. We're just and, getting in their places. Yeah, they there's plenty of things, you know, we think about some some of these, they, well, they have to have blood to complete their life cycle. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so if you've got ticks, you got something there that's bringing them in, mm. okay? Uh, either voles or uh, raccoons, mm-hmm. squirrels. Mm. And one of the things we hear about is people say, don't bother the possums because they're eating the ticks in your yard. No, they're bringing in that. more ticks than any. They will eat a tick if it's on their body, mm-hmm. but they do not actively hunt ticks. So they're not okay? seeking out. No. Yeah. If you got possums, you're going to hit. You're much more likely to have more ticks than you are. And not I wonder where ticks. that ever started. That you know, it's because know. somebody saw one eat a tick, and they said, "Oh, don't yeah. mess with the possums." Right. Because they're going to eat all the ticks, right. just we like get a lot the bats of that eat in all our the mis- industry. You know, yeah, That's like so bats yeah. eat all the mosquitoes right. and house plants. Cause... Mosquitoes. You hear yeah. so much talk about. Oh, put up a a purple martin house. Yeah. Okay. Because they eat so many mosquitoes. Well. Yeah. That's not really true. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not that they have never eaten a mosquito, but no. you're not going to get rid of your mosquito comes, population. That information was from an ornithologist who hit a bird back in the 1940s or something, mm-hmm. and he opened it up and had 2,000 mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. But he was driving through a swamp. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was not much else for the birds to eat. So, but they eat primarily moths and dragonflies, and dragonflies are predatory on adult mosquitoes and babies. So, you know, it's. Um, Purple, I love to watch them, okay? I, I I put up a house just to see them zip in there. They're so cool. But they're not actually improving, despite what you think, uh, your, your speed uh, mosquito population. So but, anyway. But let me say this real quick, Jim. Hold that thought one okay. second. Because Mark, the gentleman you were talking about a while ago, he texted back in. This is Mark Salesman. He said, I had Lyme disease also in 2020. Lyme, in most cases, will show a bullseye rash 12 to 14 days after. Kind of what you were talking about a while ago, Jim. Lyme can be treated if giving certain antibiotics within a certain time. Very important because they got to, first of all, they have to know what they're dealing with to give you the right antibiotic, okay? Uh, Medical research shows that tick removal in the first few hours limits the chance of contracting any of the disease, which is great to know. Also, when you find the tick buried up, watch the bite site, and uh, see if it stays uh, red or swollen for more than a day after uh, after you get it off. And if that is the case, get tested. But like Jim said, keep the tick. Keep the tick. So, I mean, what Mark said right there is absolutely true. I mean, uh, if you do get the tick off, of course, as soon as you see it, we're going to get the tick off. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the tick hadn't been there long. But if that tick is buried in there and you pull that thing off, keep the tick to start with. But if you start getting a big red spot or a rash there, get to you the need doctor. to get that thing looked at. Yeah. You know, it might sound and look benign initially, but it can turn into some pretty bad stuff. Okay, so now the next thing is you're next to a wooded lot like Kenneth, okay? There's the possibility that 
or you have seen ticks or you've got animals that are getting ticks right. on them. How do we keep that from happening? Right. Okay, there are a couple of good products that, okay, now these are things that are pesticides, okay? We're trying to kill the tick. Okay. The only thing that's going to feed on the tick is when the possum gets one on him, okay? So you need to kill him. Um, There are a couple of good products. I like Bifenthrin, which is in a commercial product called Tollstar, but it's Mm -hmm. in a a whole bunch of... um, homeowner type product and do you like that product jim because first of all it's a safe product to use but it has a good residual that's right it has a good residual and it has low impact on everything else right. okay uh permethrin mm-hmm. good product quick or probably kill permethrin has a label to be used on dogs and cats mm-hmm. um so it, it's a good product it's so that you, i mean you can spray it and not worry about your your pets getting into it uh, those two products are probably the best. So they're permethrin ba- and bifenthrin. They're both, I think, available in granule or liquid. I prefer liquid yeah. because I also like to spray the I spray the ground, but also any overhanging uh, low uh, trees, shrubs, tall grass. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's better to be able to spray that than put it on the ground. You, you're gonna it'll it'll help on the ground, she- but it's just to me a better kill. By using a, a spray up. You think I need to spray? When I go back to this back bed that's adjoining the woods, and I'm going to spray that thing down, I'm telling you. Uh, any shrubs that are in the bed. Now, do I spray the wooden fence also? I mean, I would, they can get absolutely. on any structure, right? Right. You know, so, they like to kind of climb up to the tips of tall grass and things like that and wait. And so when I walk by, bingo, they've got they, me. They jump off and, or they will attach you when you brush brush and, up again. And, and we're definitely going to spray more than one time. We're going to spray like every two weeks, Jim? Depending on the label. Three or four times? Yeah, check the label, whatever the, the recommendation, uh, the recommendation is. is. Follow that. Do it. You know, because you're going to you're going to kill some, but you're also going to have some ticks. And there are going to be some places that your spray is just not going to penetrate. Okay? Mm-hmm. Get under some leaves and things like that where you yeah. may have some survive. So you want to use multiple applications. Yeah. Yeah, so you can like rake any any debris out that's around, like around your shed, under your shed. Rake all those leaves out. If in the play areas, if there's grass, tall grass, if it's dry and all, mm-hmm. get all that out. Clean up your surfaces. Clean mm-hmm. your areas out. Um, same Try to get, like at least we get do. the debris out yeah, of there. Same thing we recommend with mosquitoes. You know, you you got to take their environment and their habitat away. Do all that. Do that spraying. Um, create barriers between the woods and your your play areas or your home areas, and um, just always check. We always had to check yep. after the at the end of each day. You just check. But <laughs> but the products that are in the pyrethroid family, the permethrin you mentioned, Jim, the bifenthrin, I guess the lambasithalin yeah. will mm-hmm. work. Any of those products uh, are going to have ticks and fleas on the label. But my whole thing is, yes, you, you need to spray, but I promise you, you're going to need to come back and spray again because really what you're trying to do is break the reproductive cycle right. of either the flea or the tick. You can kill the adults that are out there, but you're going to have egg and larva coming on behind them. That's why it's so important to go out there and spray more than one time. But like you said, read the label. Yeah, and one thing that's important, a lot of people find a very tiny tick on them and they'll take it off and look at it and say, well, it's got six legs. It's really not a tick. It's a bug. Well, all the larval stages of ticks have six legs, not eight, like the adults. So Ah. make sure that you realize it really is a tick, okay? All All right. right. 
Y'all just hang on one more second. We're going to know. I'm like, (laughs) we will be right back and talk about more gardening in your yard. Herbie Systems, you know. All right, y'all. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you, Jim and Kenneth, for hanging out with me. Yeah, and then, you know, like we said, you know, late spring, early summer, uh, you know, we transition from really a lot of planting, and then we transition to really more maintenance, it seems like. And one mm-hmm. of the biggest things, you know, that we mentioned in the first hour, guys, is just pay attention to the watering. Uh, there are a lot of things out there that are going to need maybe a little extra water, especially the trees and shrubs that you planted this spring. Uh, we're going through a little mini drought already. It's been probably three weeks since it's rained at my house. And like I was telling you, I was talking to the young lady the other day that has irrigation out there. She was thinking that she was absolutely fine because irrigation was coming on, what, two, three, four times a week, whatever it was. And that's all fine and good, and I have nothing against an irrigation system, but a lot of times that water is not penetrating deep enough to really soak these root systems of these trees and shrubs that we just planted this year. So keep that in mind also. Just because you got an irrigation system doesn't mean that you might not have to go out there once, two, three times a week and soak these things with the water hose. Right. So I just wanted to remind everybody that's um, out looking for the plant that they don't know what it's called, but it has green leaves we have those in stock at the garden centers now. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. How are y'all? Hey, Jamie. We're doing great, buddy. And it was good seeing you and your sweet wife yesterday for a brief moment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, look, we're, we're on tour. We're out at the first master gardener's house for the, the through our garden gates Ooh. and uh, Mrs. Dixie Johnson's house. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful place. It makes you want to go home and plow yours under and start. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, Jim, Jamie, that's part of the pressure. We go out there to these other landscapes that are absolutely drop dead beautiful. And then it makes us want to go home, like you said, plow everything under and start completely <laughs> over. <laughs> you know, you wonder, off when I started all this, I wish I'd have started like this. Yeah, you know? right. Well, and that's also the beauty of it. We do get to pick up some great ideas, Jamie, from what these other people have done. And a lot of times when you buy a little plant, you know, you don't really envision what it's going to look like when it becomes mature. Mm-hmm. And this way you can do that. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever had an original thought in my life, but I am a good copier. <laughs> so if I, if I see something I like, you know, I, I try to take advantage of it as, much, as often as I can, for sure. So now, Jamie, anyway, I hope everybody, I hope everybody will get to come out and and see some of the ideas that uh, these master gardeners have, and it's a beautiful thing to see. No doubt about it. And let me ask you real quick. Are you going to try to make it to all of the different properties, Jamie, or are you going to be at that one property for the whole day? No, I won't be at the one property. I've got, I got, uh, hey, I'm representing KWAM here. I got to get, uh, uh, get the signs out and I'll put the signs out and I'll, I'll come back later in the day and, and, uh, see what's going on, see where they might need some help. So. Hey, we appreciate that. Jamie, we love you, buddy. I mean it. Thank you, brother. 
Thank y'all. Y'all be safe. Thanks. Thank you. Do you hear what he said? Just plow everything under and start, start over. over. And he said, I'm not really a, you know, I don't really come up with a lot of good ideas myself. Mm-hmm. But I can surely copy somebody else's. You know what's blowing my mind is um, how big nasturtiums get. I didn't know how much one plant, I would have done my container all different. It's so amazingly. It's big. It's got three different colors of blooms on it, yellow, orange, and in between yellow, orange, bloom. And it's just gorgeous. I know that when it gets really hot... It's supposed to not do as well, mm-hmm. but it's fantastic right now. And the good thing is it's edible, so I need to look up some recipes. Yeah. <laughs> May as well get some use. Now the thing is, is some salad I, recipes. Yeah, do I it. cut it all up and chop it up and uh, and eat it and utilize it, or do I just let it slowly die out in the summer heat? Well, I think I'd rather have lettuce in my salad bowl than nasturtium blooms or yeah. leaves. So I think I'd let it just naturally I die. i got to look the recipe up and see. Maybe <laughs> I really will try that. If somebody else cooks it and doesn't tell me and then I like it, it's all good. With any kind of food. I think she's just me. itching, Jim, for some reason, eat weeds. I really do. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you kind of do when you grow up in the country, you know. This is kinda true. Kind of so. Um, greens seem like a weed, mm. don't they? You really think about it, greens. But I like love a them. Weed, but they're delicious. Let's go to Jan calling from Memphis. Good morning, Jan. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing great, Mr. Jan. Good morning to you, sir. What's going on today? I'm, I'm sorry for the late call, uh, but I didn't get to listen to the early part of the show. Yes, but, sir. Uh, uh, I have a specific little situation it appears i've got some winter kill in in my zorgia mm. that i haven't spoken to you about but uh uh i mean grass is slowly coming out as you all know but yeah i've got a an area that that appears not to be coming out is and ironically it's somewhat in a little like a circle area mm. shape but uh i mean is there anything anything you could uh, that i should do to aerate it or of course, fertilize it. Anything else, or do I need to think about resize? Jim, what do you think? I mean, if, if it truly is winter damage. If it's winter damage, <coughs> I mean, what I would do would be take some plugs from your uh, good zoysia and plug in the center of it and, and just let it spread through there. Uh, now, if you want immediate results, then, yeah, you, you know, cut the sod out and replant it. But uh, I think just doing some sprigging in there and fertilizing uh, – Keeping it mowed low so that it tillers. I think that's you're going to fill as quick as anything. Well, and also I yeah, wrote down, I, Jen, I wrote down in my notes today about fungus in lawns, in zoysia lawns in particular, and also grub damage in zoysia lawns in particular. The reason I'm bringing this up is I've had quite a few people come into the garden center with pictures of their zoysia lawn that looks like it is dying, Okay. And it really hasn't greened up like Jan's talking about now. Is that winter damage? Is it grub damage? Or is it a fungal problem? Well, because unfortunately, the end result, they kind of all look the same. So I was talking to a gentleman just the other day. I said, go home, dig out a little plug of your grass, and see if you've got a handful of grubs. And sure enough, he did. He had five or six grubs in a small little area. So we know that he's got a grub problem. And I said, well... You need to put this product down to kill the grubs because he checked and he's got them, lots of them. But I said, also, we've seen a good bit of fungal damage in people's yards this year also because of all the wet weather we had back in April. 
So be aware of that also, Jan. There's grub problems out there. There are definitely fungal problems out there. And yes, we are even seeing in some cases some winter damage on this zoysia. What's the answer for uh, fungal problems? There's two products. Yeah, Jan, good question. There's two products that I like. There's a product called F-Stop, and there's a product called Infuse. Both of those are granulated systemic fungicides that you put down. I think they cover about 5,000 square feet, up to 5,000 square feet. Some of them, uh, I think on the F-Stop, it's like 2,000 square feet. But anyway, you put the granulated product down, water it in, come back in two weeks and do it again. But they will control most of the fungal pathogens that we have a problem with around here. Well, that that gives me two good ideas, and I will check for the grubs. I mean, that's easy to do, and that may be part of it. Uh, but uh, I appreciate that information, and uh, y'all have a super day. We certainly enjoy your show. Thank you, Jan. Thank you. You're a good man. But I'm telling you guys, we are seeing a good Mm -hmm. bit of fungal activity in Zoysia also. I would rake the area out, add compost down, rebuild the soil, add some of the micro-brew to get some of the microorganisms going. Like for me, I always do that first, and then if I don't have any good results, if it doesn't cure it, then I'll go to the, the fungicide. Or you could just do fungicide first, but you still should do the other stuff to, to heal. quicken it. Yeah, to quicken the healing on it. So now when you put a compost down, Beta, again. I mean, is, are you putting down like the cotton burr blend, mm, which is a yeah. finer Yeah, uh, cotton particle? burr blend, some of the earth mix blends. Okay. Shoot, cow manure. Okay. You know, any of those are perfectly fine. And put it kind of lightly yeah. rub that down in the areas where you're having right. a problem. Then you're coming back and spraying Mm-hmm. Uh, comeback formula or the the micro brew the micro brew yeah. perfect okay yeah and just you know, because the balance is off that the good fungus is taking over or the bad fungus is taking over the good fungus because of just everything the the weather the maybe fertilizer you used at one time just just little anomalies that that humans inject into landscapes to set off the natural well, balance. Well, and also in defense to Jan, you know, whether it's winter damage, whether it's grubs, or mm-hmm. whether it's a fungal pathogen, unfortunately, the end result looks the same. Right, right. You know, so you you know, you know, almost have by process of elimination have to figure out mm-hmm. really what the problem right. is. Yeah, and like when I'm raking, I'm either going to, you're when you're raking, you're either going to rake all the grass out, which then it's like, okay, it was grubs, or at least you'll take some of the dead dying stuff out you know, to allow the fungicide or the compost and all that to meet the soil quicker and more efficiently. Let's go to another break, and then we've got a little bit of time left. Got time for you all to call 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. One thing you're going to see at the Garden Gate Tour um, is some, I think a water garden. They'll have a water garden, mm-hmm. and uh, that would be a fun thing to go see. Y'all should think about implementing some type of water feature mm-hmm. in your your yard. You don't have to have it twenty four seven running. You know, like if you have a fountain, you can have it off in the winter time. If you have a water garden, though, it's really you really don't have to do a tremendous amount of work when you get. The right balance in it, the and right it, amount of, and, like, and that it doesn't have to have a six foot waterfall. Yeah. You know, it could be something much smaller on a smaller scale, just to have the sound of the the running right. water. Right. Well, like Jan and Jamie were at the garden center yesterday, looking around, and they're probably going to get one of the small low bowls and put uh, like a little pump or a little 
you can there's all kinds of sizes of pumps you can put a small pump in there where it can turn the water all they've got to do is add like one bunch of underwater grasses yep that keeps it cool <laughs> gives a place for the fish to hide one water lily or get a lotus from Jim yeah mm-hmm. and um even some underwater uh grasses and um a bog plant like a horsetail reed or mm-hmm. an iris and then you've got it set up it's almost like a water garden, it can be like your container garden. you got your filler, thriller, spiller. Yeah. Because you've got As long like, as you're using bog plants, you're fine. Yeah, and then you've got your height. like and Or like we've got just a tub of, wa- of um, lotus sitting out. Mm-hmm. It's just a tub with lotus in it. Mm-hmm. And Jim has a great picture of his on the Facebook page. And it's you don't have to have a big pond to enjoy that beautiful lotus. Yeah, and I love you know the sound. Who doesn't? I mean, it's refreshing, really. And it's almost a cooling effect. Mm-hmm. You know, it whether is. I mean, yeah. just hearing that if you're out there in the late in the afternoon, you know, the sun's on the other side of the house. You got the umbrella up, mm-hmm. drinking your tea, and you hear the sound of that water. Yeah. It, it's just a it, to me, it's just right. a cooling effect. It really is, Veda. And it can kind of uh, hide the sound of the street noise, too. It can hide the sound of buzzing mosquitoes. A lot of things it hides. I mean, it doesn't, like, make the street sound go away, but it takes your mind off the vehicles and you put your mind listening to the wind chimes or the water feature doing its thing. So think about that. It's a lot of fun to incorporate. Well, also water think in the about garden. you know the mistake that I made was it last year or two years ago. I told you I used soil every conditioner. Year. You make a mistake. I used soil year. conditioner as a mulch. Okay, had a lady into the garden center the other day. She was using garden uh, soil conditioner as the as a soil conditioner. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was uh, working it into the soil to break up that clay soil, but she loved the feel and the look of the pine fine. That's really all it is. And she asked me, she said, Kenny, what about me using this as a mulch? And I said, well, i got a little story for you. <laughs> I said, the short answer is absolutely not. Do not use this as a mulch. And she said, like, I can't understand why I wouldn't. It's pine bark. It's just smaller than mulch. And I said, well, there lies the problem. You know, this stuff looks great. It feels great. It's great to work into our clay soil. I mean, those are all the reasons you want to use it. I'm going to tell you right now, it's what I told her. I said, I made the mistake of using soil conditioner as a top dressing, as a mulch. And I said, I would have never thought that when I dump this stuff out, it looks great. It's easy to spread. Man, I'm on my way. You know, that water would hardly penetrate a a layer of Mm -hmm. pine fine. Because there again, think about it. They're so small, they're almost interlocked and they act as an umbrella. I'm telling you. I guess maybe it's a difference between who makes them. Because we sell the Monrovia pine fines, and I have people have come back um, to use it as their top dress in their beds and all. And they're not having that issue because I was wondering. So I'm wondering if it's who makes it. I don't know. I mean, that might be the, size, the particle, the size of the particle, because I'm telling yeah. you. I, I, you know, I thought I was doing, I, I did it for all the right reasons mm-hmm. because of the right. appearance and the, yeah. and the ease and just, you know, it just, it looks great. And I knew it'd break down faster than some of the bigger, chunkier, yeah. uh, mulches would. But man, and I, and she was thinking the same way I was thinking a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, <laughs> do not use this as a top dressing because it will, it will, it will just bond together, mm-hmm. uh, now, you can get Just your like, hands. Yeah, like all our mulches do. That's almost the thing. All our mulches. Now, it doesn't crust, Veda. It doesn't crust yeah. like the, you know, the triple the hammered strip, hardwood yeah. mulch. 
because you can still get down there and move it around with your hands, no problem. But I almost had to stick the hose under the soil conditioner to get water mm-hmm. where it needed to go. And, and, and But I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm glad she asked me because I'm saying, look, I've done it myself. I've gone through that, and it's not something that you want to go through. This is why gardening can be hard. It's like you see a plant, and you know it doesn't grow here, but so-and-so can grow it here. You have problems with your pine fines, but I don't have problems with my pine fines doing it that way. You know, and, and it's like there's so many, like this doesn't grow in full sun. It's called variables. But it's growing in full sun for this person over here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's, but on the majority, everybody still has the same issues. The majority, everything's about the same. Well, and I do like using a, a shredded mulch that's, that's a, a bigger particle where water will actually have an ease of going mm-hmm. from the top to the bottom right through that mulch yeah. to where it needs to go. Uh, and, you know, and it took me a minute to, I'm like, yeah, you crazy idiot. Yeah, that's exactly what's but happening. you know, also, you can see that, like, that's why we always and recommend. I was calling myself that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, oh, but you're not. No, well, thanks, baby. <laughs> Is you, I've seen even, like, if you put two different soil textures together. That it won't uh, percolate through that first soil texture to the second soil texture. You got to blend the soil textures together. And think what Jim Crowder says all the time. Who's you know, that? clay is good, but Jim <laughs> said, you know, the clay particles are very close together. Yeah, that's They're why, very small. That's why it's mm-hmm. hard for water to penetrate clay. Yeah. just like it's hard for water to penetrate pine fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jim you, Crowder. Yeah, so we add <laughs> our soil amendments in there to 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 break up the clay. Therefore, to improve the drainage, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're making the particles, a l- well, hopefully improve the drainage, Jim. So we're making the particles just a little bigger is, mm-hmm. is my point. So I thought that was pretty interesting that other people had the same idea that I had of using soil conditioner as a top yeah. dressing. And in my opinion, absolutely not. Well, it's like <clears throat> a customer came in wanting to do the bee pollinating bee garden. And she'd pick a <clears throat> bunch of stuff and said, did I pick good stuff? And I was like, yeah, you did. But let's talk about the soil. And she's like, oh. what? And I'm like, no. I go, yeah, you picked out great stuff. I go, but uh, I always want you, I always go into the soil again. So you're saying it's not really the plant that you pick out, Veda. It's all about the soil. Once you get it home, you better make sure you plant it the right way in the right conditions, right? Right. People are learning. They're doing it. I Mm. like it. Well, real quick, I know we got to go here in just a minute, but uh, last thing to be on the lookout for, for people that uh, still are growing roses, and whether it's shrub roses, uh, hybrid teas, grandiflores, floribunders, climbers, whatever, uh, black spot is really starting to be a problem. And, of course, it's no surprise. This is the time of year that we start seeing a good bit of black spot. The yellow leaves with the black spot in the leaves. The leaves are falling off. So if you are for not familiar with black spot, try to clean up the rows as best you can. Pick off as many infected leaves as you can. And also get the infected leaves off the ground. Yeah. Blow them out of there. Jen might like using a blower around. I don't no, like say using don't a blower around roses yeah. because you're thinking you might spread the mites. Right. And the spores, too. But, 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 but rake yeah. them out. Get them out of there. Mm-hmm. And then go back in there and spray a fungicide that's got black spot on the label, whether it's liquid copper, daconil, systemic fungicides. Any of those are fine. But I'm telling you, you're going to have to do it more than one time. So keep your eye on the roses out Man, there. aren't the hydrangeas amazing? If you want to see mm-hmm. what a hydrangea is going to look like blooming in your yard, then go to the garden centers now and get them while they're in bloom. Yeah, because you'll know. most of your big leaf hydrangeas are not going to be blooming in your yard this year or because most much. of that tissue was frozen. Yeah, but the double the double bloomers, the repeat bloomers, 
You'll they're get starting to, to see a few here or there. But wow, the hydrangeas are amazing. The colors are amazing. So um, it is hydrangea season. Now, the paniculatas, the limelights, the little limes, the bobos, all those that bloom white, mm-hmm. you're going to see tons of blooms on those because they bloom this year off of this yeah. year's growth. Are you doing hydrangeas in your new yard? Yes, I planted, uh, in fact, one I got from you, the... Mm-hmm. Um, Senora, uh, yes, yeah, or is that an old fashioned gem, big leaf, or like a paniculata? Th- this is a big leaf, um, and it's um, uh, has has bronze foliage, yeah. and I love it. See, that would run me crazy. I would walk mm-hmm. out there and think the thing was dying on me every time yep. I saw it. Looks yeah, really good, really good. Some full bloom one, right now. Too. I want to see a picture of it, Jim. Yeah, you got come visit me. I will just like I'll come visit you, right? All right, y'all. We'll see you next weekend in the garden. Check out our Facebook page, Mid South Gardening. Check out our podcast. See you next Saturday.